This is Fight Together. In this series, we explore the major themes, stories, influences, and ideas in One Piece, as well as the reverberations it has made in the real world. We do not shy away from the uncomfortable. We critique and criticize and explore topics that polarize. We hope you listen with open minds and open hearts. This is episode two, Pride and Pirates. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of our special mini-series, Fight Together. Today, we're talking about all things LGBTQ and One Piece. And we have quite a lineup for you today. Uh, I'm your host, Zach. Uh, joining us again this week, uh, he is the uh, director on Rick and Morty and Teen Titans Go. Brian is joining us again. How's it going, Brian? Hello. Week's going as well as expected. <laughs> That's that's about right. Uh, we also have uh, Jill, our uh, contributor, with us. Uh, hi, I'm really glad to be on this one. Should be good. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, we we have we have a lot of guests, so we're we're, we're just getting started here. We have Shannon Strucci from Strucci's Movies here. Uh, how's it going, Shannon? Going great. Thank you for having me. Uh, we have. Um, I I just want to read your Twitter bio because I think it would be perfect. Uh, lesbian icon, speaker, writer, editor, adapter, information pro, manga tastemaker Erica Friedman is joining us for the first time. I'm really excited to have you here, Erica. Welcome. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about this. Uh, we also have uh, with us um, Alan Ortega joining us again. How's it going, Alan? Good. Happy to be here to talk about gay pirates. <laughs> it's a topic that's very important to me, you see. Uh, we have storyboard and comic artist joining us for the first time. Also, Josh McKenzie. How's it going, Josh? <laughs> Great. Dream come true. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone should say that when they come on our show. Uh, <laughs> no, if uh, they don't mean it. <laughs> no, especially if they don't mean it. Oh, I'm very much. Dream come true. <laughs> and and last but certainly not least, uh, he is a storyboard artist uh, for series including Teen Titans Go. Uh, we have Mark Nordstrom with us. How's it going, Mark? Mike? Uh, yeah, pretty good. This is my first podcast, so I'm kind of nervous. Whoa! Uh, oh welcome. wow! We I know Maybe. Brian's here for emotional support for Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Mike's my buddy. I got him in the one piece, so I feel responsible. Yeah, I mean, it is your fault then, yes. Um, so I, I'm going to, you know, try and just stand back here and, and let the conversation happen. Um, and Alan and Alan and Shannon particularly uh, did a really good job just like organizing their thoughts. And there are so many thoughts to be had about this. Topic. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Alan, I want to throw it to you first. Um, sure. Do you want to just, yeah, just soapbox? <laughs> yeah, no, I just wanted to kind of like get us started because I, I think the thing about this topic, um, the super important to me is that I'm a big Age of Sail nerd. And also I really 
I'm passionate about representation in media and how powerful storytelling can be a tool to uh, connect people and get people to empathize with others and sort of break down these barriers. And as somebody who loves these topics, I think uh, a lot of people don't realize that queer culture and uh, pirate history are pretty intermingled. Um, in, history, in, in actuality, uh, the world of pirates uh, actually had gay marriage before most uh, civilizations. Uh, and they had a lot of diverse people, especially a lot of LGBTQ plus people who found their way into the world of piracy. Uh, and something that the history books don't really talk about. And I, th I think it's kind of crazy to me because like in reality, pirates are an amazing icon for queer rebellion. Um, they are m marginalized people that find their way into this life of crime because they have nowhere else for to go because society doesn't accept them. And there's so many thematic parallels between, I, I would say both a lot of stories about pirates um, and in one piece specifically that I think are really worth talking about because I think a lot of people don't really realize this sort of uh, Venn diagram of, uh, I mean, of queer wrath, really. <laughs> um, so I'm just really excited for us to get to talk about this because it's something that, you know, I'm making, I'm, I'm a game developer in my spare time and I've been working on a, a game about queer piracy. And I think it's something that more people should know about, especially in the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, we should be looking to this as like really uh, passionate inspirations for us to rebel, you know, against a society that doesn't always accept us. So yeah, that's my spiel. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's, I've, I've learned something new there. I, I got chills from like, oh, that's such a cool concept. Um, yeah, that's really awesome. Yeah. Uh, Erica, you want to talk a little bit about, um, uh, you know, I don't know if you want to go off of that point too, but just your, also your history uh, with, with One Piece and just generally. Um, so I started One Piece back way back when it first was being published. I started reading it in Japanese. It was one of the first manga I actually read. It wasn't the first, but it was one of the first that I picked up. And I really was attracted by the the art style uh, everybody being so weird. And at first, of course, I was repulsed by the art style. And then I started getting the story. <laughs> um, and then that's I started, <laughs> yeah, well, it was, right. That's exactly the point. But I had a friend who, who loved how repulsive it was. And so she sort of said, oh, you should look at this thing. So I picked it up and read it and kind of told her about it. I'd been reading it for a long time and it's, it was very shonen jumpy, you know, it was all about Nakama and teamwork, you know, and it's like, it's found family. And I think that's kind of really my springboard to talking about it in terms of uh, queer identity, because it really is very strongly about the family you make for yourself. And everybody who's queer knows exactly how important that is. Uh, even those of us who have families who love us, mm -hmm. there's a special bond, a nakama of the people that you've chosen to have around you and have mm -hmm. as your family, as your team. And I really carry that with me for years, this idea that the people that you choose to have around you aren't just your friends or, or acquaintances, but there's people around you that you know have your back and you'd have theirs, even if you're hundreds or thousands of miles away, uh, even if you only get together once every three years at a convention. Uh, but these <laughs> people are the people you've chosen for your nakama. And I feel like that's that to me was one of the things that really resonated so strongly in one piece about, about making a family. Um. Josh, do you want to kind of go off of that same topic? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, everything Erica said, uh, absolutely agree. Uh, and then, like, in addition, um, you know, so much about One Piece, um, especially as the main cast affects um, side characters, is so much about self-realization and self-actualization, um, which is a major part of, um, you know, becoming, like, a well-rounded queer person. Like, it's, um, I think there's a lot of times when you, like, you know, I'm not sure about, um, all of my new friends that I just met today, but you know, I grew up uh, in my parents. You know, dragged me to church a lot, so I uh, was in like a Southern Baptist sort of environment. So it was like a lot of having to sort of take back what was like slowly taken from you over time as a child. Um, and um, so much about uh, One Piece is um, people realizing how to find their own power. You know, not everybody is um, like like a Zoro. No, not everybody's strong. You know, but like everybody is able to find ways to. Um, take back their own strength and their own um, abilities, um, which you know I think uh, is a perfect dovetail to the to the found family themes. Yeah, it's uh, all Mike. about about finding yourself and sort of understanding your place in the world, even in a society that maybe doesn't always, uh, you, you know, it's expecting you to conform. Right? There's a lot of characters in the series that are sort of pushing back against a world that doesn't quite accept them and they have to find their own self-reliance and they find that through each other and their friendships and that sense of teamwork. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mike, what, what about you? Uh, in what respect, like how to, like <laughs> how does that, uh, my gay identity, uh, resonate with one piece or. Yeah, that, and, and I guess just, you know, how you found it and, and, uh, and your history with it. Oh, well, yeah. So I read like 700 chapters when I was in between <laughs> jobs uh, from uh, various friends. To ask. So like, I get like, I'll be honest, a lot of it is a blur of weird characters. <laughs> um, emotions, right? Yeah. Yeah, so many Crying. emotions and backstories. <laughs> totally. Um, I mean, it's, I mean, this is the most I'd ever thought about One Piece as like in terms of gay identity, because it seems so like, uh non it's it's so adolescent in so many ways mm -hmm. like even like the the parts that are it's like anytime a, there's like romance it's like oh there's a lady and mm -hmm. you know and their eyes explode or something uh so um yeah i never really thought about about it like that and it's a uh, yeah it's really interesting yeah i mean i uh i mean i think you're totally right i think one of the strengths uh, of the series is that it is, um, you know, kind of so sexless. It's sexless in the way that Dragon Ball Z is kind of sexless. Like, it's just kind of, um, I don't know, uh, romantic relationships aren't integral to the plot, really. It's not, they don't really factor in. So I think it leaves a lot but of... But the fruit. female characters have more of a role than they do in Dragon Ball Z. Oh, very much so. <laughs> which which is really a key point for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because... <laughs> You know, because this, the lack of, of romantic uh, romantic entanglements within the story was a really big draw for me. Because I'm really bored and tired of that. But also the characters were interesting and cool. And yes, of course, have their own tragic backstory, which is how you know somebody's going to join the crew, you know. <laughs> but it's not just that they are tragic figures, but that they are actually really strong characters. And, and uh, I'm going to just jump in real quick, say if Nami hadn't been as strong as she was right at the very beginning, there is no way I would have kept watching the story. Mm. Yeah. You know, that's a, she that's was so strong. She's such a great XO that if she hadn't been given not only just a tragic backstory, but an actual real role and everything at the beginning, mm -hmm. 
I would have been like, ah, screw this. Well, and, and everything really in that first leg of the series was culminating in her being the most like rich in character person mm-hmm. in the story to, to date. I think a lot of people, Arlong Park was the point in which the series fully cemented itself in their heart. Mm-hmm. And, she, yep. and her depth was so integral to that. And you don't see that, like you said, in a lot of other shonen. They're, they don't typically... Right. You get Sakura from Naruto Syndrome, where it's like, they're mostly there to bicker and then <laughs> sort of or like even worse. You, you hawk a show where the love interest shows up at the beginning and at the end and hardly exists <laughs> in the rest of the story at all. And you're like, Oh, they're going to be together. And it's like, why would they be together? She would have gone off and had a life. I don't even all this other stuff. I, I have a hard time thinking of Yusuke as like a romantic, sexually no, romantic and you're not character. Supposed to. <laughs> yeah. But you're not supposed to be, what you're supposed to know is just, she's just there waiting for him, which just, I could mm-hmm. go on for about an hour about how much that pisses me off. You know, that's, wanna, it's a really enraging concept. I actually want to buttress like what Erica and Alan was just talking about. Like the fact that Nami works is because Oda used those tropes and subverted our expectations mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. where those characters are going. Cause we all know like Bulma and Dragon Ball is like, you think about who that person is, she should be in- incredibly valuable, incredibly useful, but she often gets brushed off as like a nag and a joke. Mm-hmm. Like, one piece started that way uh using nami's character but they gave her a lot of mystery and the thing that oda does a lot specifically with his female characters but all of his characters is always a person of mystery and when you get deeper into the backstory like oh wait there's more there and going back to what mm-hmm. you said about the found family that's all nami's backstory mm-hmm. she's a woman picked up by adoption her mother taught her to be strong and she loses that family and it's forced into his life of piracy but finds a new family Shannon, I want to hear uh, your, uh, I guess, backstory for the, on, on this subject. Uh, I've been reading One Piece for 17 years, wow. uh, which is crazy. I'm like around 30, so I've been reading it for most of my <laughs> life. <laughs> I was in middle school when I started reading it. And um, I am a video essayist, and the stuff that I've done that I'm the best known for is on parasocial interaction theory kind of like feeling like you're connected to someone or you know them when you don't actually know them, whether it's a celebrity mm. or a fictional character. And there's also something called contact hypothesis, which is this idea that the more you're around people in marginalized groups, the less likely you are to be bigoted towards them because you have actual exposure. And there's parasocial contact hypothesis, which posits that representation of marginalized groups in media can actually reduce bigotry in the audience. Now, obviously it doesn't work for everyone, but I think something that's been really interesting to me in looking at the One Piece fandom, particularly with the character of Mr. Two, or Bentham, or Bonclay, or whatever you want to call him, um, is that in the, like, the comments and YouTube videos, there will be people who seem to have homophobic or transphobic attitudes who, who, are, like, who like, love this character and are endeared towards this character. And I think that is very positive. And I also think in One Piece, there are certain representations that are also very, very negative and have the opposite effect. I think I'm sure we'll get into that at some point, <laughs> but from, from me, like yeah. reading this since I was like 12, you know, and I'm looking at the fandom and interacting with people. I don't know. It's been, it's been disappointing sometimes and really uh-huh. incredible other times. And I've sort of uh-huh. been here for so much of my life and it's influenced so much of my like oh. creative background and how I view media. And I got, um, I did a video on one piece and was just a little bit critical in it. And that's the most harassment I've ever gotten. I think off of a video um, as far as like death threat kind of stuff too. So it can get kind of intense, but yeah, that's kind of my little soapbox about it. I think that you, you make a very good point that a lot to a lot of people, this is the, something they've known their whole lives. And yes. 
and it has evolved and grown and changed for better or worse over the years with them. And I think it's such an intensely personal piece of media for a lot of people, kind of like the Harry Potter franchise for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. They don't know a world without it. And so it's really hard for them to have a critical eye towards something that's that personal. Um, it's unfortunate that you had to deal with that level of toxicity because it's really important too. if you really love something, you really have to be honest with yourself about its positive and negative traits for mm-hmm. you to fully love and accept it for what it is, but still hold the creator and the work to task for those things that could do better and needs to do better. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't negate the good aspects yeah, of it. Exactly. I still love mm-hmm. it. Yeah. That's what part of what it frustrated negate, me. And doesn't negate the things we take from it personally either. Right. Mm-mm. But there's a lot of, as we said, I yeah. think the more you love something, the more important it is to be critical about it. Cause it, a, it shows your yes. passion and also you yeah. want it to be the best that it can be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, like I'm a big fan of Sailor Moon as anyone who ever pays mm-hmm. one half of a, a single moment. So attention to me knows, and <laughs> I am deeply critical of Sailor Moon, both the original manga and the anime and the new stuff but also the way it was handled in the translations and i have uh, i have been very very critical about how it's been handled recently because i do love it so much and it should be the best thing it could be and it frequently just isn't i I can relate to that as somebody who evangelion personally saved my life but but it is Mm -hmm. it really complex to discuss intellectually and critically uh, without getting into fandom bickery and Overrated, underrated, blah, 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 kind of like reductive, mm-hmm. you know, discussions that I just, I feel like it's a problem with fandom in general. And, and unfortunately, One Piece is not, a, uh, you know, absent of that effect of the way yeah. fans are kind of prone to not be critical or, or look at things in a kind of media literacy way. And it's unfortunate because... Or they just take everything on by the emotional state that they're in, sure. which is, I think, generally fandom. That's the I mean, biggest problem. And we see so much racism and homophobia and, and uh, transphobia and Islamophobia in, in modern American fandom. We're basically looking at everybody just literally reacting right off their own emotions and not really thinking. I think your, your idea of them not having media literacy is really important, which is why I'm, mm-hmm. always, I'm always begging my audience to read a book. <laughs> Yeah. You know? and, and it's also the notion where people believe things can be apolitical, even the choice apolitical thing. That's so there are things that I've read that the creator is obviously trying to avoid politics. Yeah. It's like there's a whole arc about colonialism. Like the, the normal <laughs> but like come on, it's, it's so like you can agree or disagree with Otis politics, but to pretend it's apolitical is just that's silly. What was that meme that was going around that these people think that there's, you know, there's white and and political and straight and political. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, exactly. Everyone thinks there, you know, there's normative and there's political. It's like, come on, you know, that's not how this works. It's uh, there's so much of this that is anti-government, but also pro-government. I mean, there's a lot of really, there's really a lot of complexities even in the story because he doesn't, he's not consistent in his own thoughts either. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, and, and I think it's Not really important also for us to kind of address the fact that none of us are Japanese. Um, mm-hmm. Our grasp of Japanese culture and history is not as strong, uh, depending on who we are. I mean, I'm, I'm going to speak for myself personally. I am, I'm a Japanophile. Historically, I am fascinated by Japanese culture, but I don't have quite the the literacy in that space as I should. And I feel like I bump up against this as an anime fan from the West a lot, which is trying to understand what is inherent to the work and how, how much of is that work influenced by cultural norms that are are inherent to that country and the people who live there. 
and I try to get outside my American window of viewing the world and sort of, but that's not to make excuses for things that are like by most intents and purposes problematic. You know, it, it's hard. Mm -hmm. You have to be, you have to be honest with yourself, how much of your brushing up against this and kind of having an issue with certain things in, in a work is a cultural difference versus just something that is kind of more universally not okay. And that's hard. Well, yeah, but then there's also, then you have to kind of sometimes uh, parse it by, is this just the artist being? Right, right, right. Person? I mean, I I'm pretty literate in Japanese politics and culture. Um, mm -hmm. I've got a lot of friends who live there and are Japanese. I'm not Japanese. Mm -hmm. Everything I do is secondhand, of course. Sure. But I'm always learning and I'm always trying to absorb new information. Uh, but but there's there's problematic in uh, in the way of sense of well you know you're clearly kind of on the right writer side of politics than I am there's problematic when while you're drawing on on uh, stereotypes and right. uh, literary mm -hmm. references that maybe I feel uncomfortable and then there's wow you're kind of a dick aren't you and right. so there's you have to kind of parse <laughs> yeah. those things out from your mm -hmm. own biases as well. You because yeah, that's you, what literary criticism really is. Yeah, you don't have to be a, uh, British to be able to hold J.K. Rowling to task for the things she said <laughs> and, and the way exactly. her works reflects her politics, for sure. <laughs> Brian, right, exactly. Brian, you were going to weigh in, I look like, a, a second ago. Oh, uh, yeah, I was just like, as an, as an artist, it's the fact that like when we produce art as a medium, our cultural influence come into play. So like, I don't mm -hmm. know, again, like with you, Alan, I don't know how much my sensibilities about like how a uh, media and representation affects like people of color specifically. Uh-huh. Like like I, I use the Mr. Popo example. I know right. the origin of the Sambo and like how that permeated across the world. And like I, I'll, I'll use an example. Like I know when someone's using a slur to make me feel bad. I also understand when people are using a slur just to illustrate a point or to share something. I see Mr. Popo, I don't think negative stereotypes about black people because of that even though i know the origin of it comes from a negative stereotype and it's one of those things if i could go to like a toriyama in that example and sit down and explain to them where the problematic aspects of this representation comes from they wouldn't be more amenable to changing it or like not using those things in the future but since i can't go and do that and i know they have a different cultural context behind it mm -hmm. it's like i have to just kind of accept like okay they ain't there yet get them there and we right. should try to get them there but they ain't there yet and i can only get so mad from like i always say like <laughs> i can forgive ignorance i can't forgive stupidity right yeah. and there's only mm -hmm. so much emotional bandwidth to fight those battles uh, especially across borders so you have to kind of mm -hmm. like try to 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 be a little bit more selective about where you decide to kind of like put more in of your emotional energy into uh, trying to educate people uh in order to kind of break those barriers down and and reach people in a way that they're not just going to throw up a wall and say, I am not receptive to your, to your feedback at all. And F you for trying to tell me how to, how to express. And that's why like conversations like this are super important. So even if people don't understand where it's hurtful or problematic, we can at least tell them. Know uh, how to, how the art is being viewed by other people who don't exactly share their same role. Uh, right. I was on a uh, podcast a little while ago with Manga Mavericks, and the whole thing was about problematic art and how do you discuss it without um, discuss it in a productive way. It was an amazing podcast. I recommend you um, all listen to it. It was really good because we ended up talking about how often the problematic in the room is just left unaddressed because no one wants to address it and no one wants to deal with the 
You know, no one, it's very hard. And I'm sure we've all been that person. No one wants to be the person with your arms out protecting all the other people. It's mm. very hard to be that person to go, Hey, stop, stop busting on them. But sometimes when you're in a position of being uh, a video, uh, you know, commenter or a blogger or whatever, you end up being that person just by sheer dint of having been there and saying that. And so, I wanna... yeah, you, you know, it's very hard to put yourself in that position of so like, well, they don't understand this, but sometimes it's got to be said too. I just want to also give Jill uh, a chance to go through uh, her backstory uh, about One Piece and LGBTQ plus, uh, how how that's all wrapped together for you, Jill. Um, okay, yeah. I mean, I started reading. God, probably I started reading One Piece and manga probably in middle school, um, and I think I got into high school, which is probably when I like came out as bi or and pan. Um, I was one of the first people to come out in my school because it was still kind of that like 20 early right before 2010 where people were still iffy about in schools like we had a GSA club but like people weren't super into it and people got made fun of so I was one of the first kids to come out and um, I think that's actually kind of around where they ended up going in um, into Impel Down and finding uh, the new commas Um, and it was it was very very cool to see that in a series i mean kamabaka we'll probably talk about it later is its own issue uh-huh. yeah <laughs> but uh seeing the new commas um as you know as a young queer kid i was like oh this is these these awesome characters literally in hell are having like their own gay old time um in my favorite <laughs> series um and it was it was really great to see that so that was a good impression oda made on that um but i am there's something about anime fans, how such a huge, I can't, I don't know if majority, but a huge proportion of them are queer or, or uh, otherwise marginalized um, uh, groups. Um, So found family I know is so important among us. And it's such a big part of this series. I have um, the quote, no one is born in this world to be alone tattooed on me because Mm. it's made such an impact. Um, Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, I love found family tropes pretty much of any trope out there so one piece is uh very important and i think the i want to live speech and yeah. frankie telling yeah. robin mm-hmm. that nobody's born i forget the exact words but it's like oh my gosh i've returned to that over and over. i first read oh, that when i play like oh, 13. Yeah. like yeah. oh that clip i like it makes i don't cry a lot that makes me cry like every time <laughs> actually all of that not you know you are my nakama and the mm-hmm. just the arm lifted for vv Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. I just burst into tears. It's right. silly. I said it without mm-hmm. crying. I'm amazed. <laughs> I have the X on my arm too. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. there's, there's all these moments in the series where like things are really as bad as they could be for a character, and they're feeling like nobody really will be there for them. There's a sense of like of mm-hmm. anxiety about abandonment that is sort of permeated through a lot of characters' arcs in the series that. I think a lot of LGBTQ plus people can really relate to of this, like there's going to be a point where people will not be there for me because they don't accept me fully. There's, they accept parts of me, parts of me that are convenient or that they like, but they, you, there's a sense of like not truly being seen 100%. And I feel like there's all these moments where like Luffy and the gang really go, <laughs> dude, get in the boat. Mm-hmm. You're one of us. And it breaks that barrier down. And it's like, it's really is a family bonding in a way that you don't normally see in that is usually not about emotional intimacy in that level you know sorry i got on a bit of a tie right there 
Yeah, no, no, it's, no. It's also about, you know, growing. It's it's a, We're on a literal journey. Uh, growing mm-hmm. as a person, growing as a crew, finding who you are. I think um, Usopp shows that super well. I yeah. mean, mm-hmm. he's the, mm-hmm. he is the every per, every man um, of the story. And you see him go through and, like, learn to be a, literally his whole goal. Brave warrior of the seat. Just to become a better person who believes himself more. Mm-hmm. Um, and we even had that fight with Luffy where it really came to a head. Oh. Um, Because everyone has issues coming to their own. I mean, there's no easy route, which I think is important that it happened. The story being about, it's founded not just on teamwork. I mean, every Shonen Jump story and most of the Shonen stories are about teamwork, but it's about finding your dream. It's super critical in that fashion. Because this is very much about the people... These people, not just, you know, getting away from these horrible backstories and, and finding a family, but also once they, and this is really where I'm going with this, once they've learned how to survive and that they have people they can trust, they begin to thrive. And the story is about how do you thrive? How do you mm-hmm. find out who you are? How do you actualize that? And how do you surround yourself with people who will help you get there mm-hmm. to be the exact thing that you want to be? or need to be and, and enjoy being and something that you can really identify with fundamentally. And I feel like that's a, such an important, the idea that of going again for your dream, even if ultimately you can't reach your dream, but well, the journey to become the person you aspire to be. Yeah, I mean, the, is there the anything dream, clearer than that? Right. The, the, <laughs> the, the, the dream is happiness, uh, feeling at yeah. place with yourself and surrounded by people who <laughs> truly accept yeah. you. Well, really well said. Um, <laughs> something else I was going to add, but I think that's I think that's a good point on that subject. Um, Alan, do you want to do you want to go, start going through um, some of the more specifics? Unless you just wanted to talk about Bon Clay, which is fine. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't. I, yeah, I feel like we've kind of you know touched upon specific characters and specific themes that uh, sort of resonate with uh, the queer experience. Um, I definitely, I think that there's, I don't know how much there is to say about just the society of One Piece and sort of the, the, the world in which they live that makes people sort of find their way into this life. I feel like it's kind of permeates every part of the show, right? Or the, in the manga. Um, I don't know if anybody wants to talk about sort of the world of One Piece as those in power sort of, uh, pushing their own idea of justice. I know that's like a, a running theme throughout the series is personal justice and it's and pushing it on communities and the friction that happens between individuals trying to pursue their own sense of what is right in in opposition to the authority uh that that rules over the over the world. Yeah, I mean a year ago you could have called it um a cartoonish exaggeration but now it's right. Just, um, <laughs> right. Like the idea that the government would send a bunch of boats uh, with guns on them to murder a handful of people that were dissenting uh, voices against their authority is unfortunately not a ridiculous, fantastical concept in 2020. It's funny because like uh, Mike and I have talked about got me into this show is a pose on. Mm. Oh, what's yeah. Brilliant about, yeah, what's brilliant about Pose is like, it's literally, I, I started watching, I think I was gushing to Mike about it. I was like, hey, this, this is like the formulation of One Piece. Like, they literally have families, <laughs> yeah, houses and mothers, <laughs> like, crews will disband and then like reform. 
and awesome uh, outfits <laughs> and balls and pageants <laughs> and competitions. Um, <laughs> instead of fights, right? Instead of these great fights, it's the pageants and competitions. Yeah, but they, the they still kind of like there's like respect among them, even though it's like, hey, you're really good at like voguing and you're really good at dance and you got like a really good face and you pass and all this like extra stuff that they have to do. But then what's great about Pose is the fact that we know the world in which these people exist in. You know how they're marginalized <laughs> and we know how they're oppressed. And in One Piece, why the world building so good is because Oda builds into knowledge about how these people are oppressed how the world operates like you were mentioning the justice how like families and often they're orphaned like a lot of other series not just manga but just a lot of other creative series don't do that work so when so when people are hurt and when people are like marginalized we don't get the same sense of attachment as we do from real events like how the uh, the women and uh, gay folks lgbt people are affected by society and as like black and brown people mm-hmm that in there it's funny i actually just uh watched paris is burning for the first time which is like Mm. the documentary that kind of taps into the same cult ballroom culture as pose and yeah you really do see um one we haven't come that far it hasn't been that long since that era of uh of queer marginalization that you know i think that it's it's really it's it's a lot easier to connect i think for people who maybe don't live that experience with One Piece because sci-fi and fantasy and uh, uh, fantasy fiction uh, allows people to experience and explore actual relevant issues uh, to the real world through a sort of uh, a filter that allows them to de- sort of depersonalize the core issue, but still connect to what it's trying to say about our real life and how people are treated in, in the real world. Much how uh, X Men did in the eighties. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely. It's very similar, and and at the time it was very obvious meant to be that sort. Of, but the difference is that X Men was meant to be that kind of allegory. What's extraordinary, of course, is that now you know we're we're forty years later and people are going, no, no, it was never meant to be political. And, and I remember that <laughs> I was working at a comic book store online. And it certainly was yeah. indeed meant to be political. So it's, <laughs> it's kind of extraordinary. That is so insane. Time is a flat circle, everyone. It's everything over <laughs> again. Yeah, I mean, I mean we're on a forty-five going around and around and around. Yeah, I mean, I want to, I want to be clear that art is political. If you've enjoyed anything, <laughs> anything uh, if you've ever liked anything, um, yeah, it's been political. political. Well, um, political, and that's good. It just comes from the Greek word polis. You know, it's the everything right. that's the state of the city, the state of of a, a human society. That's political. Mm. If you exist, it's a political statement, and that's the way it is. It's just it's if not, you're the normative yeah. majority. I think it's, e- it's easy to just label things that people don't want to have to think about or deal with as political, as political, as sort of a buzzword to attribute to things they don't like and don't think are worth discussing. Right. Um, That's exactly it. And it's frustrating. Yeah, it because I mean... How do these people expect to connect or feel anything <laughs> if they're just trying to like divorce themselves from everything else? Well, because well, yeah, I mean, they only they, want to have stories that reflect their own experience. And that's really the core of this, yeah. right? I mean, that was a great point about this kind of story allows people who don't have these experiences to connect. But if they don't actually make the connection that they right. are connecting with that story, if they just go, well, yeah, I really like Rufy because he's strong. And then don't make the connection. Oh, the reason I like him is because he's he brings people together under you know this one mm-hmm. one banner. If they're not getting that it's about teamwork and about family and all these other things, then all that's left is I want to be the strongest. You know, and you've got some guy sitting in the basement going, "I am strong." It's like no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, 
I, I think as somebody who is like as a, a fledgling creative person, I'm not I don't do it as my main focus. I I think it's so tragic to think about uh, creative people having their works misinterpreted by their own audience. Um, <laughs> I, I feel so bad, for instance, uh, Hideaki Anno, the creator of Evangelion, who pours his heart and soul into this show about depression and anxiety and like relationships uh, in his own personal experience. And people go, haha, robots, cool. Who's my waifu? <laughs> and it's like, if, if you can miss the point of that series, I think you, you are a kind of a lost cause in terms of like paying attention to what stories are about, but or you're, or I don't know. Like it's 10. Just, I mean, like, it, I think there's also probably people who are too young. Right. To, I don't know. Yeah. I don't or, think or, anyone. Or I don't think immature. any ten-year-old should. Yeah, I just, yeah, maybe it's intellectually and emotionally immature for sure. Because I, mean, I see plenty yeah. of people who are well adults and still really much too young. For right. Some, of this stuff. <laughs> some and, people never grow up. Is, no, yeah. a lot of them don't because they don't have those experiences, and if they're not putting themselves out there, and there's this fear of rejection and all this stuff, just makes uh, makes people stay child uh, children forever. That's something. You know, this I, idea that they don't want to get get lose anything of themselves. That's something I like about One Piece because, I mean, it is a manga for kids. I mean, it's a manga for adults, but it's also, you know, it's a manga for kids. Uh, uh, so it's uh, it's great that uh, some of these themes can be presented in a way that even children should pretty much mm -hmm. understand. Like, Bon Clay's a good guy. Like, mm -hmm. he, he might not be, he might be different than most kids are used to, but like, you, even the kids understand this is a good character. He's helping Luffy. And I think that's mm -hmm. great. Right. I think Go ahead. No, um, I was going to say that I think there's a lot of there are a lot of characters in One Piece that I think subvert your expectations and challenge your misconceptions, judging people by the way they look, the way they act initially. Um, I, I you know I, I just wanted to kind of quickly talk about like Chopper is uh, a character who I think is thematically really resonant with queer people, um, mm, especially yeah. because it taps into the kind of queer person as monster narrative mm -hmm. where where people are being judged for the way they are, not for who they are as a person. Like they're, they're being rejected by communities mm -hmm. that tell them they're not good enough. They're weird. They're bad. They're, they're evil just based on incredibly shallow reasons. And I think that, I mean, Frankenstein was a character that people, I mean, monsters are usually resonant with queer people because they're used to being ostracized and rejected and hated and, and called bad inherently. And, and I think there's so many characters like in the series that just they introduce them as one thing. And then over time there, you really do have to question why you judged them so prematurely. And, and yeah. I think that's which that I think is a great place to talk about Ivankov because <laughs> yeah. this is a character who is amazing from beginning to end and yet is never treated the way you gotta be treated. I, I, I find it funny because like both in the uh, for Bonclay and for I had extremely similar reactions and they were like aesthetic reactions and, mm -hmm. and like in my head i remember thinking like oh oh dude you went too far <laughs> and then like mm -hmm. over time as you get used to the character like a uh, bonclay specifically start off as a villain but even his villainness you still like respect and like him like i felt like he was pushing a, a aesthetic like way too uncomfortably where i felt like i don't know if i find this character appealing but just over time like once you find like their humor their love and their identity, you're like, oh no, I love this person now. Like mm -hmm. by the time Bond plays, like his fight with Sanji was fantastic. But when he's mm -hmm. sacrificing himself so that the crew can get away over friendship, I was like, this dude's my man for life. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, and and One Piece has been had the luxury, and and thankfully Oda has had the foresight to really think about where he's wanting to take a lot of these characters and arcs, and and the 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 groundwork is laid so early on that there is payoff for a character like Bon Clay to establish a certain expectation, and then over time subvert that and really make you go oh, why? Yeah. yeah, and like why did you ever feel that way about this guy? You're being like on one hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way he behaved, uh, I shouldn't even use pr- a pronoun because I don't know. I they, they use he pronouns for Bonclay, bon yeah. Okay. is a, yeah, he, I mean, but it gets talks it. about talks mm-hmm. about themselves with, I mean, in Japanese, the language is a, a really eclectic mix of both male and female. That's what we were talking about before we started recording Okama way, uh, Okama way, and that's exactly what Bonclay does, uh, Mr. Two Bonclay Sama. As we refer to him around my house, um, mm-hmm. he he actually does refer to him as, as both male and female, right. and he says "akchishi" instead of "watashi." Um, "Akchishi" is this weird, really weird sort of uh, in, in bizarre mix of "watashi" and "watakshi" and his own w- weird way of speaking. So it's this this unique, not male, not female, not anything. It's, it's like me- kind of gender fluid. He's like. It's a very like, gender free, right? What's called which, gender free. <laughs> which I mean, that's sort of the point of of their character and Ivan Kov and a lot of the a, a lot mm-hmm. of the the kind of trans coded characters in the series is like being free of social expectations and be able to express themselves in whatever way they want that doesn't confine to a certain paradigm. Um, and I think that 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 particular kind of initial goofy borderline clown depiction of what could be interpreted as trans coded characters is really off putting to Westerners without the, that understanding of things like, like from I, I, for instance, was not able to evaluate that character on the, the very deliberate language and vocabulary that character was using in its original Japanese that changes the interpretation. I think it's really important to think about those things before we uh, cast aspersions about Oda's intent in those departments not yeah, the, but then you have something like Sanji running around the island right, of Uncle's right. Island, scre- you. you know, having yeah. uh, like the, the constant transphobic shit. Mm-hmm. Horrible. Right. It was like it's, it got really boring and tired. Honestly, but, but I will say that Okama yeah. Way is a great song for that mm-hmm. reason oh, yeah. because uh, because uh, Mr. Jubon Kwaisama actually talks about I am both a woman and a man, and that is why I am the best. That is literally wow. the the that, that line. I'm a woman and a man, and I am because of that. I am the best is the actual uh, refrain of the song. I, we sing the song around the house all the time because it's such a great song. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it, so, so there's this acknowledgement that, that he's the, he's both he's, but I've uncovered the way he's treated. Uh, it really got on my nerves. Listen to Sanjay have a transfer fits. Yeah. Really got tired. And it never stopped. Yeah. I, you know, I, I would love to know, I wish that we could have a honest like conversation with Oda about, about certain attitudes that he seems to have towards characters. I, I always, I have been wondering this entire time, like, am I supposed to hate Sanji post time skip? Cause I really kind of <laughs> do in a lot of ways. Yeah. And that's he's the, really yeah. not like, it's, it's hard just, to like him sometimes. Yeah. Cause especially because the trans, the trans coded characters in the series are very, they're the they're paragons of morality in a lot of ways. They're they're some of the most upstanding characters that they end up meeting at, at certain points in the series. And 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 I think that's to sort of belie how you assume they're going to be ridiculous clowns, you know, because of the way they initially mm-hmm. express themselves. 
But then and, he becomes the ridiculous clown about it. Right. And Sanji I just, like, being an absolute clown. And you're like, is he supposed to be toxic masculinity on the hoof or what? I, that's how I interpret it. Did you? I, yeah. I, I feel like it's really hard to say for sure. I feel like it's, that's a generous. Uh, I think that's a little too generous I, when you're referring yeah. to the Kamabaka Island. For a lot of other stuff, maybe he is kind of stupid, but that one, it's like, look at these disgusting. Like, it's. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, yeah. Anji behaves is the way I know a lot of like cis straight. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that just reinforces <laughs> it, though, in the audience if they're not being. Yeah, it's meant I, I, as a, I I think the whole thing is meant as a joke, right? We're supposed yeah. to be with Sanji and not against him. And I found that really exhausting well, and tiresome. And, and yeah. it's to say that if you're like a ladies man type of like romantic male character that you inherently have to reject what I guess could be interpreted right. as false femininity. I, I just, it, it brings up a lot well, of troubling lines of thought. If, mm-hmm. if viewed through yeah. our lens that I, I am trying to not do that, but I kind of can't, help but have these thoughts because just i don't know how you how would you who could avoid it yeah i mean i I mean how you could as an adult watch it and not have those thoughts yeah Yeah, i mean it's it's an easy joke right like uh what is his worst nightmare is finally every woman likes him um but he hates them and here's why uh like and i think it's interesting because like if it wasn't for the actual representation how oda draws these characters to his art is why it's so troubling because like none of the other characters behave that way Right. Right. Well, it's, it's, doesn't care, and like, I don't think there's any situations where or anyone else had a. Bad yeah. Nobody, life. nobody cares about their, their gender identity or how they're depicting themselves, but him. Right. So like, it's something that's permeated in a lot of Japanese pop pieces of pop culture that frustrate me. Um, even the, the, the most progressive perspectives on this can sort of like stumble with trans identity. Um, Persona five, for instance, is a, a recent example of a, of a piece of media from Japan that the only queer people in it are sex pests, basically, <laughs> there to harass a male character who doesn't want their their advances. And it's, it's troubling. And, and even like an example I can give you of a trans character that acts in a way uh, that, that the trans characters of the series do, but again, is sort of a paragon of morality and upstandingness, despite the kind of clownishness that they are known for, is like Tokyo Godfathers, the Satoshi Kon film, uh, mm. where like the best person in the entire story with like a lot of really interesting wise things to say uh, is the one that they dunk on constantly for being trans. Um, it's so pervasive in a lot mm. of Japanese media that it's hard for me to really fully understand how upset I should be at them. I, I'm, I'm upset because... It's not okay by my by my moral compass, but mm. it's so pervasive and and it makes me question. So much of it's buried in Okama culture, you know, this this mm-hmm. kind of almost historical understanding that all Okama are are really sad beings at heart. Um, there's mm. a movie that pretends to be a documentary called um, Funeral Parade of Roses, and it was done, I guess, in the seventies. And it was supposed Mm -hmm. to be a documentary of drug culture and Okama culture. And it's crazy bad. And I absolutely love Mm -hmm. it, but it's really bad. But the thing is, the the supposed documentarists come off so pathetic. Like, they're like, so you like men you say and the, you could see like the the the, the drag what well, we think of as drag queens and and they're not really trans people but they're not really not um 
they're they're all like yes yes that's what we, yes that's what we yeah uh huh uh huh and they're mixing up this Okama's gay and Okama's trans thing that they didn't have the distinction between mm-hmm. and I think some of it comes from sort of that just hand wave of Okama culture this tr- this cross dressing bar culture mm-hmm. it's like oh they're those people like Onabe is the opposite the the women who dress as men and it's it's uh, it's uh, host bar stuff so you're you're already talking about people in sex work or adjacent to sex work. They're not really real people. They're nighttime people and, and, you know, you know, men and women of the night kind of thing. And it kind of really bugs me because, you know, we're, we're years past that now. And, and maybe you could have done some thinking about it, Oda. You know, <laughs> I mean, like it's just competing it, it, on it. It's always such a challenge for especially, uh, cisgendered, you know, presumably heteronormative, people to be able to uh further educate themselves unless they have people around them that are helping sort of like touch upon those issues and help educate in a way that is a sort of a safe environment for them to learn without feeling like they're being attacked for unintentionally being ignorant about something and it's it's always a hard thing to kind of broach uh i i do wonder if he has any queer people around him that can <laughs> talk to him about these things well, and yeah um that's something uh, i wanted to talk about Real quick, it was both that um, Bon Clay's jacket was originally censored in the anime, and everything that happened with Iva's voice actor. Um, yeah. Where my understanding is he was like a friend of Oda's in real life, he, like he based the character off of him. Then he got cast in this show. This like I don't know much about him personally, but like a very flamboyant um, man. And then he got fired because he had taken sort of like uh, like gay BDSM risque photos. Like not nude th- photos, but because of, yeah, Zach, you might know more about it than me. But it's like if we're talking about Japanese culture, what Oda did or what he tried to do was also censored or taken away by yeah, people I, around him. I, I was just going to add, Shannon. I think the mm-hmm. reason um, he so he was also the voice actor of Eva. Yeah, he got sorry. Yeah, he got cast in the role and then got yeah. fired. And like probably one of the best voice actors in in the series too. Not just because the character's based off of him, but I mean, mm-hmm. definitely yeah, it, was, it was perfect casting. Yeah, I mean, it literally was tailor-made. Um, but I think part of the reason he also got fired, and I don't know, was it, he had tattoo. He was full body tattooed. And uh, I think that may have factored in a little bit. I mean, obviously, the thing is, there have been people I think in One Piece who have not been fired for doing more. Um, yeah, do, than you, that. do you think? Do you think it also is a case of like maybe some like I, again? I don't know about all and outs of Japanese government, but like how like in the states we have ways of like we can discriminate against people even if it's not actually on the books absolutely Those. i mean mm-hmm. it's an excuse to fire him because people yeah. in positions of power within the the organization that's producing the anime are are saying we don't want this guy because he's bad optics for us or we just are transphobic or whatever and yeah. it's yeah. an excuse to get rid of him yeah right mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it's and it's sad because it's antithetical to what I think Oda's trying to say with this series, right? Like, if if he is if he was going to bat for his for his friend who is sort of gender fluid or gender nonconforming, and like have them authentically be able to bring that character to life, and the studio squashed it, like then I, then you know again, I don't want to position any of my criticisms of the work as necessarily an inherent character. Uh, criticism of Oda because I don't know enough of him as a person. He doesn't. I'm sure he can't speak clearly enough about this. There's too much money involved for him to be able to uh, <laughs> fully speak candidly about his creative experience and why he makes this or that choice. Um, 
but it, it it's something that it's again it's really hard to like know how much to hold him to task or not because this is a piece of commercial entertainment put out to a very broad global audience and mm-hmm. we're still fighting for representation in mainstream media these days it's mm-hmm. still really really hard mike and i work within the studio system and i can tell you that like it's very much like out of our hands basically yeah. can be yeah. on screen well actually that was another thing i wanted to bring up like working on a production that's this endless train uh kind of forces you to like creatively it's just like off the cuff whatever comes to mind so like uh you don't always have the time to really think through your ideas so like for instance i could see like the kambaka kingdom thing coming up and he was like you know tired old joke is like oh what if they look like dudes oh we'll run with it and then it's only afterwards like understanding what that means to people and it, if, if like, indeed he had anyone around him to tell him that that's right. the problem yeah, yeah. and I, yeah. I gotta give oda props um for the fact that as far as i can remember i don't think that there have been many queer coded characters that are bad from our point of view in the story most of mm-hmm. them i mean the new commas kamabaka kingdom literally where the revolutionary war or uh, revolutionary army is currently stationed like they are shown mm-hmm. as the epitome of freedom yeah. in the series and the fight against oppression and oda yeah. obviously the way he presents it sometimes it's not ideal for anyone but he does kind of conflate them with freedom in the series Mm-hmm. And the moral upstanding. I mean, they are morally upstanding. Yeah. They're they're some of the finest, most nobly, uh, yeah. It's, it's thought it's, of characters. I mean, they're just mm-hmm. they're just amazing people. Yeah, it's this cognitive dissonance between like their yeah. like their exaggerated, uh, you know, cartoonish, offensive portrayal versus their actual character, right? right. Yeah. Which is why it's difficult. I mean, you can't dismiss them because I mean, I love Bunkley. Like, who could? Uh, you can't dismiss them because they're not you know, ridiculous and villains. It's clear he made the choice to do that. Cause like, uh, Inazuma, I think is also coded as they, cause mm-hmm. they gender non-binary with Eva call. Like, there's a fun, cool. There's nothing I would ever say that I saw that was offensive or off putting about Inazuma. It's just like a background. Right. What was Okiku's, um, her, I'd like to talk about her, but also her brother or that, that character, Izo? which has like, Izo, Izo, Izo who has like yeah. makeup and stuff. Uh, I think him and Okiku, are, I, I love Okiku and I, I forgot to mention her earlier, but like, there's just like a whole spectrum of representation. In this I hope that my uh, lady, I love her so much. She's a fantastic. Uh, Brian, what was the line that you mentioned? Ignorance uh, is forgivable, but what was it? Is not. I always say I, I can forgive ignorance. I can't forgive stupidity. The way I so, parse it is like if you don't know something, that's fine. But if someone tells you something and you still persist yeah. on doing it, that's stupid. Yeah, hmm. and I wonder where Oda, you know, falls on that spectrum. Sometimes I think. I like, I, I mean, you guys obviously, I think, would be able to speak uh, to this better than me. Um, but whether, like, I think Jill, we had mentioned on the last episode um, just about how I think he is well intentioned and his heart is in the right place, but often um, because of what I'm going to assume is his ignorance, um, you know, does stuff like Kamabaka. But I, I'm hoping. You know, just to to add a note on it, that that Kiku Okiku is um, kind of the start of hopefully something more informed and better. I mean, she made yeah. me very hopeful. Yeah. Very Same. hopeful. Yeah, yeah. Hope definitely. That Sanji does not, you know, be Sanji <laughs> in that whole thing either. And also to buttress what we said before about how fan community doesn't know how to react to that. I there's a there's a professional YouTuber 
I'm a fan of because I think he's an entertainer and great broadcast talent. He has extremely problematic takes on it. It bums me out. So, that sucks. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> like, I almost don't want to even support this person anymore because I'm like, dude, stop being a fucking child. Well, that's one of those things. Do you think if someone, especially someone he knew, had a conversation with him, he'd be like, oh, my bad. I didn't think of it that way. Or would he be like, oh, PC police, <laughs> whatever. I, I or it was a joke. It was just, oh, a, just a joke. joke. Why are you so sensitive? <laughs> yeah, it was just a joke. No, I mean, it I wasn't this joke. person also happens to be a marginalized person in the country. So I think if I sit down and explain to this person why you should probably mm-hmm. change your attitudes about these things, especially in this country where there's so many trans women who are like murdered being trans. Yes. Yeah. Mostly black trans women. Mm-hmm. Like, I want yeah. not to have to contribute to that narcissism at all. It, it's unfortunate that uh, marginalized people can also marginalize others. And there's no, yeah. there's not always intersectionality in that respect. Um, I think it's where some of this really ends up being frustrating because it's like, well, we're all in this together, you know, like the, the, to be, to use the one piece metaphor, the Marines are coming for all of us. Like we're all, <laughs> none of us are safe. Let's be real. You mm-hmm. know, like let's all, all try to be there here. for each other. <laughs> to yeah. calls coming y'all. How do you feel about queen? You mean Kaido's queen? Yes. <laughs> I like Queen, but I don't, I'm not like specifically a gay man, which I feel like that's playing on a lot of uh, tropes or cultural stuff with that. I don't know how, like, if my opinion matters that much, but. Uh, opinion always matters. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. think I'm all right. I, I wasn't like, oh, this character is meant to be repulsive on the basis of the connections with queerness. I think the reasons he's repulsive or upsetting are separate from that, or maybe even like fat phobic or something like that. Very, I think it's a love of torture, if anything. Yeah, that's the thing about the series. A lot of the characters are technically aesthetically unple like not yeah, traditionally uh, yeah, pleasing. As pleasing as like I mean, I exaggerated. Think, I think that the series, because somebody earlier mentioned how off-putting the art style was to them right off the bat. I mean, I think it's because it's like a mix of like ridiculous comedic japanese manga tropes and sort of like tex avery cartoon zaniness so mm-hmm. that aesthetic can be really weird and but like and most then extreme and then push to even further right. extremes oh, you know it's just like it's so overblown everything is well, so yeah, just describing it to someone it's caricature yeah mm-hmm. but when everyone is crazy looking and off-putting no one is right right like, right like you're less Except likely for all to... the women that have the same body type well, well yeah. that, that's one thing I wanted to mention real fast talking about Oda's intentions that he got the mm-hmm. S- all these letters from women saying please don't draw us all the same and he made fun of them in the SBS yes, and it's yes, like yes, that's yeah. kind of nasty was, that's that one of my like oh dude I, out. Mm-hmm. I was I also really concerned series, but, yeah. at the beginning I was concerned at the beginning when somebody said why are all the women while the mother's dead and he said well man can only go have an adventure once their mother is dead and I was like that's just fantastic dude <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Fa- it was just so it was so weirdly minimizing I think that's something to keep in mind when those types of statements come out which are very disparaging and, and a bummer um, is you have to, we all have to remember that he is in a very unique bubble of mega success for mm-hmm. over a decade now. Almost, I mean, it's like yeah. almost two, right? So, like, it's really, I think it's really hard to break through the bubble of yes men to really sort of get him to critically think about these things. I think it's easier for him to go, well, millions of people yeah. are telling me my work is perfect. 
forever and I'm making all this money and everyone's telling me I'm amazing and it's really a lot harder for somebody in that position. And we like, already I, know that and we also know Shonen Jump is really male centric and right. really not not a positive uh, non-toxic area for women. They uh, have been like so many uh, large institutions in Japan, very disparaging of women generally and made it very, very difficult for women to have voices or, or positions of power. Um, in the same year that Tokyo Medical University said, oh, we were, we were changing women's scores so more men would become doctors because they'd rather, mm-hmm. literally rather have mediocre men than have positively mm-hmm. talented women. Um, the same year, Shonen Jump was like, yeah, well, yeah, we don't really care if we don't have too many women in power positions of power. They suck anyway. It, it's so, so I've always had questions about, like, did Japan have the same kind of, like, women's movement that we had? They have it now. They have it. They've had it since the beginning. Women saying that, that feminism in Japan is a Western construct is the biggest load of horseshit. They've mm-hmm. been feminist as long as there have been women. Women have always wanted more equality, and the first time a Japanese person came to march for women's equality in the Western world was in like 1915 in the Women's March Suffrage March in New York City. So they've been there since day one, and there's right now uh, there's these things called flower um, demonstrations, which are uh, large scale, ongoing, rotating demonstrations and protests by women all across Japan protesting sexual harassment uh, and sexual abuse and assault. Uh, and I recommend highly looking up flower demonstrations. Uh, Ishikawa Sachi writes about it. And uh, if you ever go to Unseen Japan, he writes a lot about it. And he has a couple of people in Japan covering it. And yeah, they're just as feminist. And it's been just as hard. They had Kutu, which is uh, women being required by their companies to wear high heels because they're better looking. Oh, so it was coup for Kutu. Kutu is their Me Too hashtag. If you look up Kutu, wow. hashtag Kutu, you'll yeah. see that. Uh, women also in many companies aren't allowed to wear glasses because they, they, they're not attractive enough okay. with glasses that, on. I mean, it's just endless. I denounce that immediately. It's <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous. That's glasses true. are gorgeous. Yes. So, I mean, so aside from that, um, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of institutionalized sexual uh, inequality, just as there is here. And yes, the flower demonstrations in Kutu, for anybody who's interested, I, I recommend you look those up and be prepared for some emotional stuff. It's not fun. It's not, mm. this is not fun stuff. This is not cute. It's interesting that you brought up that perspective on the kind of unknown movement that's been there the whole time, because I do think that. There's a there's a thematic through line in both One Piece and a lot of stories about pirates or or communities of criminals, and that's how society controls the narrative to demonize their opposition and frame themselves to be heroic. And I think that One Piece really drills down to challenging misconceptions that society puts on people: that the Marines are inherently good, that the people in 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 the world government are doing what's right for the world, that pirates are inherently evil, and and this you see this time and time again in a lot of stories about uh, the queer perspective is that that we've been there this whole time, like you said, uh, we've been doing the work. People act like homosexuality and queerness was an invention of in the past 20, 30 years, and that's just wrong. But that's because people are reading the textbooks di- written by those in power 
usually yeah, or the news reports by yeah. people who just were born yesterday going oh i've just discovered I mean, this thing <laughs> yeah the, the fact that so few people understand how many queer people are were pirates drives me crazy i have this conversation all the time because i've become that person it's like you should know about this <laughs> it's super interesting there are really badass interesting uh women people of color trans people gay people uh, like that were relatively famous pirates. I mean, Anne Bonnie, go look her up. She's badass. She was she lived in a triad relationship with her, uh, basically her boyfriend and a trans friend of theirs, and they were like super cool and interesting. And they were all married in a thruple situation, and nobody talks about this. Like nobody does. It's always like the same two or three kind of pop culture pirates that people know. And, yeah. uh, and you know, when they talk about Anne Bonnie, they don't mention that. They talk about, you know, she died, you know, she got out of going to jail by claiming she was pregnant and that's it. They're like, okay. Right. And, Let's not um, talk about the fact that, yeah, that she was bi- like canonically bisexual and had a trans uh, boyfriend and that they were all right. fucking badass. So like, yeah, it just, Girl. that is <laughs> because the history books don't talk about those things. Uh, they, why would they, they? Right. Exactly. And, and they're and, and they're sorry, and they're clearly referenced in One Piece. Uh, we've got uh, Bonnie, mm-hmm. um, and I believe Calico oh, Yorkie right. is a reference to Calico Jack, right? Correct, correct. Yeah, uh, I, I was still Bonnie hoping that she's introduced has at least like it looks like she's in that kind of situation potentially when she's first introduced. I mean, Oda takes some creative license with some of the more famous pirates for sure, but yes. I mean, the characters are still there, and the sh- and the, yeah. and the series does reflect the diversity of the types of people that were in this community. And just it's a, it frustrates me to no end that, that the history books are dictated by those in power who are threatened by that narrative that is inconvenient for them. And, and I think that's something that is inherently queer in, in concept of fighting the false narrative. We're dealing well, with it now. Yeah. It's also like a core thematic element of One Piece is that mm-hmm. bad people control history and try to erase mm-hmm. history. And it's also um, One Piece itself celebrates the other so much and is kind of like, I guess anti-assimilationists like no one's trying to conform to a society mm-hmm. it's about finding people who accept you who you are including these like really over the top queer characters or queer coded characters yeah I think I, that's I, a big part of why i like it i think that's shown really well in the fact that we go from story to uh story to story in these um islands actually islands that mm-hmm. are they have their own thriving cultures mm-hmm. um their own people their own past but this huge world government is trying to take over every single one of them and make them all conform to the same ideals of justice. And if you don't, you can go build a bridge to nowhere and be a slave. Uh. But also weird justice like this. It's so it's so clearly an oligarchy that that and yeah. doesn't make any more sense than the real oligarchies, real countries <laughs> right now are trying to deal with. So yeah. we're sitting there looking at our own oligarchy, going, "How does that make any sense?" Or or <laughs> any other countries, and you're like, "How did these? How did these?" blithering idiots get so much money and power <laughs> and then you would look at one piece and go right 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 of course because they inherited exactly what you'd expect yeah i, I think um, that do flamingo speech keeps coming into my head the one from the war where it's the the justice and you know how how we view society is written by those who have had that inherited power Mm-hmm. Um, which is a huge theme in, in one piece. History is written by the victors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and kids yeah. who've never known peace and kids who've never known war. That always exactly. stuck with me. Yeah. It's pretty cool that despite the fact that history is written by the winners and the gay erasure of pirates, like everybody already like everybody knows that pirates are really dope, right? It's like the same <laughs> with the witches, like they rule, even if you're told that you're not supposed to like them. So Which is yeah. why most people like them in the first place. <laughs> 
I mean, because exactly. the, the, there's a natural tendency to, to want to, I mean, really, even when you're a kid, you've got your kids, you look at your kids right now, any group of kids, you're going to find half of them want to be the bad guy and half of them yeah. want to be yeah. the other, you know, half of them want to be the, the good, the quote unquote good guys, you know, half of them want to play cop and half of them want to play whatever was on the other side, because, you know, some of them recognize that being outside what society wants is way yeah. more interesting. At the yes, very least, be an, your both I, family. I, I, Right. At the very least, they want to be anti-heroes, a different definition yeah. of heroic and and right. like, or just not play by the rules, which right. is the other thing about being that guy. You can just do whatever you want. Right. Um, I wanted to ask, would y'all yeah, say that a lot of the, the major villains are coded as like cishet macho dudes? Like if you think of like Arlong or like Crocodile yeah. or not every single villain, but I think the major villains are all like these big buff very masculine men and then luffy is not i wouldn't say queer coded but it's just sort of like the small slippery goofy guy uh just having this conversation thinking specifically about arlong i always thought there was part of him was representing sort of like this um like very evil very domineering controlling masculine energy and i always read belmare as being kind of lesbian coded with her flannel and haircut and everything like that that was something because i think sometimes like how much queer representation is like projecting or thematic versus with her it's like well this seems pretty obvious there's no man in Belmer's life except for Ginzo and he's goofy <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, yeah. sorry go ahead uh, I, I you know I just think that um you know Arlong Crocodile um Anel like all of these sort of like uh this is a shorthand for authoritarianism right like this is this is masculinity mm-hmm. this okay, is, you know, um, especially yeah, oh, gosh. yeah 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 oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so th- oh, this kind of like rect- yeah. this kind of mean rectangle man um I think is an easy um <laughs> an easy uh, <laughs> that's a great way of putting it <laughs> yeah it's like an easy read for authoritarianism and then you get kind of like um you know, the other side of authoritarianism, which is like shitty, we hate him, spandum. Like he's like, you know, 120 yeah, pounds. Um, that's the other side of authoritarianism, right? Like the little so, weasel who hides behind everybody. Dude, right? yeah, a middleman, yeah, yeah. You know what I always felt like, like, like Jinbei was the best guy. Jinbei was like, he's this large man, you know, he's, mm-hmm. it's, there's no sense of this like hyper-masculinity. He's really chill. He's kick-ass, but he's quiet. I mean, I just think that he's such a great model. Then again, they made him a fishman. I would like to posit a counterpoint to Arlong because I think that in the initial arc he's introduced, he very much seems to be at first blush like kind of your your the the apex of the of the prototypical One Piece antagonist of a little tiny fascist wanting to the rule the find his own self worth and dominating other people. Um, but I think the more we learn about the struggle of the haves and the have-nots and the marginalized mm-hmm. people and the powerful, I think that he becomes Magneto, basically. I always call yeah, him fish. Exactly. I always yeah. call him fish Magneto. And I feel like Magneto, <laughs> it, Magneto, even though initially it's very clearly a, a you know, they've stated that, that, that Magneto and Professor X were like Malcolm X and uh, Martin Luther King analogs. And I feel like, that dynamic of assimilation uh, versus rebellion uh, for a marginalized community uh, can very much be interpreted as the the queer wrath uh, archetype, which I think yeah, is something that's, that's like, becoming. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just just uh, for people who don't know the backstory of Magneto, he's the Jewish man who saw the horrors of the Holocaust. Right. That's why mm-hmm. I always related to men. And. Yeah, because it's like mm-hmm. you, that conflict is very, I think, influential on a lot of creative people. 
wanting to deal with sort of a civil rights movement of of a community who has been stepped on by society do you try to make peace with the the the, the ruling class and try to to broker you know uh, an, a sort of olive branch situation or do you go no we've been stepped on too long f mm. this and f all of you like be gay do crimes I think that there you can easily interpret Arlong with what you know about what his people went through and what he went through and why he's so angry as interesting that we waited so long to learn that too. Right, right. Yeah. It was a really it, long space. Like we've hated him for years. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, we well, and, and it yeah. question we have to call into question what you're right, what the source of all that anger is. But then you have to d- double check yourself and go, but he was beating up kids. It's still it's no, like about how people who are hurt still hurt other people. And right, it's, yeah, we're exactly. talking about trying like, to not hurt other marginalized people. It's a vicious people. cycle for sure. And the I don't marginalized people. Like, he was just he was just being really he was really still punching down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we talked about that earlier too, about how people who, who are marginalized can can hurt other people who are, are further marginalized yeah. or differently marginalized. And it's true, and we know this to be true, and why you know, why aren't we asking ourselves these questions all the time? Because, of course, that's hard in the middle of your own hurt and brokenness. So the previous right. podcast, I still thought Arlon was a dick, but that's okay. He is. <laughs> in the previous podcast, we I briefly touched upon this, where I mentioned how Arlon's immediate like reaction to like how fishmen can run everything in human justice. I immediately recognized the kind of like not self hate, but he was like trying to build himself up more than what mm-hmm. he was. And even at that time, mm-hmm. I'm like. Are you talking? Why are you? Why are you? Why are you stomping so hard, dude? I, I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> to me, to me, that's stomping that, on the wrong people. That's the yeah, part that you lose yeah. me when you beat up little children. Well, yeah, that, but I understood where the hate and the anger right. came. Yeah, uh, understanding where people are emotionally motivated does not necessarily mean you empathize with them. And I think that I, with Arlong, mm-hmm. it's a case of like, okay, well, you're basically a gay white man who which was treated poorly, but your choice of dealing with that is to basically punch down at trans people, which we know right. people like that. We know, we know your log cabin Republicans that are so are weirdly <laughs> hostile towards literally every other person in the letter people community. Um, yep. And they, they deal with it in really unhealthy ways, but that doesn't mean it, it, it. I think it's important. And I think Odo was really smart in trying to at least emotionally give context to why he's such, he's turned into such a terrible person um, to where you can intellectually make sense of it, even if you don't necessarily forgive him for the sh- terrible thing. Right. He he did the probably one of the most traumatic things to one of the most beloved characters in the series for mm-hmm. a very long period of time. It's yeah. impossible to forgive that if you're like a together person. But and it also codes how we go into when we see almost all fishmen in general by the time we hit Fishman Island. Right. Right. I I'll, right. I, I want to add. So I. For another podcast, actually, for uh, Alex's and Joey's podcast, I watched the I had to watch the movie Shoplifters, um, which is great. I recommend, but it is a very difficult movie to watch, um, and it's kind of making me think about it because it's the doing the wrong thing for the right reason or doing the right thing for the wrong reason kind of thing. Um, it's that everyone has motivations that may seem just or unjust, but it's when you start, you know, hurting other people potentially i think you know that's that's where that's where things get a little messy and i i think one of the things that odo usually does do well just to echo off of all these points um is that he's able to to portray 
why an evil person is doing the thing and you don't necessarily sympathize with them for doing that thing, but you are able to empathize with what they have gone through. And that that's I a, think is, yeah, Brian. That's a kind of want to bring up that point with the earlier uh, discussion. Are there any uh, villains in one piece who kind of like associated with any level of queerness? And if anything, I think immediate reaction of a uh, Doflamingo. He's oh a, yeah. He's a big, mm-hmm. tall, like fashionably man with a pink, both <laughs> like mm-hmm. it also falls under the nation, notion of the family that you make it's yep. kind of absolutely definitely how he builds himself but he also really most of the pirate captains too. are and law too yeah. but mm-hmm. like with crocodile he's just using exploiting i actually think doflamingo generally saw his his ass family I agree with mm-hmm. that. and <laughs> that one art piece of Doflamingo and Crocodile, I'm almost positive at this point that Oda ships it. Uh, <laughs> that was very gay. 100%. Yeah, who doesn't? Yeah, yeah, it's very yeah. gay. Yeah, tongue ring. <laughs> I, I am still holding out. I don't know. I, I'm one of the is Croc trans people that Iva has this secret on him and has had it it's, for years. It's one of I don't know, but I'm like, please, that would be really, really cool. I would be. I would love to see that and see his backstory and have that play into it and him still be this like really intimidating man. While being a trans man, which is something like trans men are so Oda, absent Oda, in media. Odo goes out of his way to like when Roger's execution, you don't see Crocodile's face, and when he the one image of Crocodile's a young young child, very androgynous. Yeah, mm. it is very androgynous. Like mm-hmm. it's it's one yeah. of those theories. Like when you come up with it, you're or when so, you someone like first mentioned to me, I was like, ah, oh, that's funny. Like that'd be cool. And then you start going, what are like, you mm, mm, some of this stuff works together, and then I'm like. God, it would be so great. It would be so fantastic for Community and the series if Oda did that. Like, mm-hmm. even if it wasn't important to the plot, if it just, like, even if in an SBS he explained it, I would it's be like, so oh, by excited. the way, yeah, I have his hormones. This happened. It's like, yeah, that makes, because Croc is my favorite villain in the series, too. He's a monster, yeah. but I love the way that he's written. He's got a lot of depth to him. And it's like, that would be, I, I, thought, they, I, thought, all of, I thought all the bad guys in that arc were really strong. Yes. yes, and that's how we get Robin. Well, we probably I mean, don't know. It was an amazing background. arc. Mm-hmm. Well, and I and like I'm, you know, I'm speaking just for me. Uh, but like you know, I uh, uh, queer people should get to be villains. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I mean, just you know, on my own, I'm not advocating that queer people are uh, need to be paragons of virtue. That sucks. Nobody gay and do crime. Uh, mm-hmm. Be gay, do crime. Um, be crocodile, do crime. Um, if, <laughs> like, like there should be, you know, there, uh, should be room for queer people to be villains, to, um, be, uh, people whose backstories you understand, but are misguided, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, you Absolutely. know, I, so, you know, in case somebody's listening to this and is like, okay, so queer people can't be bad people. And I'm like, no, I would love that. It's just not like a disgusting, it's like the Kamabaka thing. It's like, it's dehumanizing and it's right. a stereo. It's like that versus a fun, I, like Crocodile is fun to watch. Oh, um, right, and, but, but you know, but mm-hmm. I think it's easy to conflate the um, oh, they hate Kamabaka Island, so that means that queer people can never be in a negative light. It's like, no, yeah, no. Y- yeah give me yeah. them in a negative light. I, I would love to see the them. Queerness is not what makes them bad, That's right? Correct. Yes, I, but also the problem with this is that so many villains are already queer coded, or that yeah. so many queer people really identify with the villains in the first place. Like literally uh, every Disney villain ever, ever <laughs> right? Is yeah. so queer coded, um, and so it's really it's kind of like well, you have all the other villains. It's like yeah, but there's there's differences. I mean, give me Robin is queer, and I would literally be dancing. Because one, she would be awesome. 
I one think thing Nami I, is very coded as lesbian. I think so, where she's oh, yeah. like, oh, Khalifa's hot. Wait, I'm not a man. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, she, yeah, she, the yeah. scenes with Wanda, even the scenes with Tashigi. And Vivi. Yeah, well, and her Tashigi, relationship is, with her close friend with Vivi. Tashigi, and stuff. Is, Tashigi is my queer lesbian friend. Is it? Yeah, 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 yeah. My, my librarian friend, my my lesbian librarian friend. I mean, she's got she's got the look. She's got the. And she is everybody I've ever met. <laughs> I, I, I will give you say, a high five, Erica. One hundred percent. Five, Erica. One hundred percent. I will say that I believe I remember reading about a phenomenon in Japanese culture about about uh, depicting young, sort of like idealistic romantic feelings towards another young woman as like a thing. Like people expect young women to kind of like have these like doki doki moments towards some other uh, female peer. And I'm wondering if that's sort of what he's riffing on, because I see it in a lot of stories where there's like, it gets bo- where character relationships can get borderline Yuri content at times, but they mm-hmm. just pull back just it's enough from of, like. It's sort of meant to be immature. It's yeah. a way to, it's also, it could be in his stuff, it's probably pretty fetishy. You know, I mean, right. you've got both. I mean, it's a Shonen series, uh, Shonen Jump series. So you've got that, the audience is boys. So, you know, it, huh. you've got that sense of it being like, oh, he, he, girls together, not real sex because no penis, but right. it's sexy. You know? Isn't so his wife that. a Nami cosplayer? Yep. She oh, played Nami in people? some, or did she play Nami in some she, stage show? Yeah, stage I think that was it. Yeah. yeah, big surprise. cultured by, uh, uh, Sex boy relationship. If girl relationships are your expected, how's the Japanese boys? One more time with that. Uh, how is it like? So like, there's a a specific like yaoi, I guess, mm-hmm. for like young uh, boy relationships or well, any anything that right? early twentieth century same you know sex segregated schools, hothouse environments. You're going to get that assumption that hormones will be expressed through the most expedient means because yeah, like i know in in least western american sensibilities i i'm gonna be gross for a second in pornography it's always the like a for play for women but like it's that's as acceptable then for men to have gay relationship that's seen as yeah no but it's 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 acceptable for them to have gay sex not relationships there's a difference right. and that's practically yeah. global i mean right. a, a lot of the a lot of yeah. the uh a warm weather cultures, you get like the idea that you're getting something on the down low is fine. It's absolutely nothing to do with anything. Uh, yeah, I absolutely learned that in African art history as well. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah there's like this, there's this hate of the male body um, that is sort of like I think self projection on behalf of a lot of the male voices writing these stories that mm. men are gross and women are inherently beautiful and that kind of hypocrisy sort of permeates everything and i i think that's part of why i think people like uh sanji and zoro so much and why they get shipped so frequently because they're like two of the most traditionally sort of like i mean there's yeah and and it's like they are kind of uh exceptions to the rule in the series and the way they depict a lot of male characters at least traditionally i mean i definitely know a lot of people who are very thirsty for a lot of uh male characters you would be surprised about you know uh white i know some white I mean, beards i've been to coin that i would never surprised about anything <laughs> yeah yeah like i mean this the series has a very horny fan base uh to a yeah. degree so i go well, you know it's shown a jump it's not yeah. surprising but i mean like i think that kind of touches back on what we were talking about earlier that i the the validity of like head cannons and fans sort of 
reading the series how they how they choose to read them and whether or not that's valid or not. I I personally am somebody who defends uh, the relationship between the fan, the community, and the work um, as divorced as possible from the creator's intent because as somebody who doesn't see himself in, in media very often, you have to kind of make it your own to be able to like mm-hmm. better engage with it emotionally and, and psychologically. Like um, a lot of subtext in stories that whether or not the creator meant it to be subtext definitely comes off that way by most metrics. Um, you know, a lot of my favorite video game characters that I feel are queer coded, the creators will neither confirm or deny whether or not they are queer in the text. And and it creates this relationship of queer people interpreting art and sharing it amongst themselves with a the separate language and understanding mm. of the symbols and meanings. I think that's why a lot of us in this chat are, are uh, media literate compared to some fans, because we have to be. We have to mm-hmm. read between the lines, you know? Mm-hmm. We have it's funny because I actually had a very similar experience with Rick and Morty, where on the first mm-hmm. convention we had, there was a young uh, Latina ex-woman and asked like if Rick was Mexican. And then Dan and Justin, like I was sitting next to Juan, who was one of the other directors on the show. And yeah, someone asked that question. And then Dan and Justin did a dodge, which I'm I still admonish them this for today. They were like, <laughs> oh, we don't see race. No. You came up with the name Sanchez. <laughs> like one way or another. Good lord. I mean, I, I've talked to him, I've talked to Justin about that. And they said, like, mm-hmm. yeah, at some point we want to like kind of uh kind of call not call that out or do a thing about that, but they just they said they need to find the right story. I was like, it's really mm-hmm. disappointing when like people want to dodge and like not engage in the yeah. fandom. Like, hey, support that. I mean- I mean, to some extent, I, I, I mean, you, we understand these are commercial ventures and the, the, the glaring obviousness is that it has to sell to the greatest number. Of so to some extent, those dodges are just, I don't want to, I don't want to piss off this group in, 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 uh, you so said that I can make this group happy. So they want to, well, you know, I don't know if you see it it's there, but on the other hand, if you're, if you're, going to be doing that to the point where it's no longer not obvious then you really have to say that you've taken the side it's pretty toothless in the face of a lot of data that shows that actually the very loud vocal minority of people who would reject right. a piece of media are actually not as uh, financially solvent as people would like to think. Right. It's, um, it's the yeah. obvious statement that the people who are going to find yeah. themselves represented in a way that they didn't otherwise expect will put a lot of money into something that says, yes, you are here. I mean, again, we go back to Sailor Moon. As soon as, yeah. you know, here's Takushi saying, yeah, of course, Haruka Mishiro are lovers. What were you looking at? And people, all, all the fans who were like, we know it. We knew it. Yeah, we've been new, man. Money into it. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. I mean, it's it's galling when even Marvel Studios is finally getting sort of a little bit more wise to yeah. not necessarily queer representation, um, but at the very least, like I think successes like Black Panther and uh, Captain Marvel uh, kind of prove that very loud minority of people on on the internet are just very loud. Yeah, they just game the system to look like they're very numerous and scaring companies from not making. Yeah, but they have no real pull. It mm-hmm, turns out yeah. there's way more money in making work that is diverse and global as opposed to just for you and your friends. You know, it's not that mm-hmm. hard of a concept, but for some reason, uh, people with the checkbooks are, are they will come up with any excuse they can to not take a risk. 
And yeah, you know what, though, that, that's, that's really, ob- but that's an obvious thing, too. Again, back to the commercial thing, the people with right. the checkbooks tend to be straight and white. Sure. Yeah. When they're the ones in the position of power. Straight white men. And they're going, yeah. well, duh, this is fine. I actually had someone recently tell me the word he is is non, non-gendered. non You know, he is just normal. And I said, oh, no, because no. And don't be an asshole about it. And he's like, no, because, I'm like, only because of usage, because you keep insisting, but I don't agree, you know? He was he was arguing with me about the singular they. He was like, why did that win? Why can't we have MX or something? And I, or, or, you know, and I was like, well, there's no grand not, authority who picks these things. Yeah, that's not how <laughs> culture and language work, you idiot. Like... <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's a really decent guy and he was just like he was really angry about it he was just like why why does singular name and i'm like probably because it's existed since the 1300s and it was like yeah but i hate it and i'm like i'm a little tough tough ass buddy <laughs> but but yeah i mean he, he doesn't really think about it because he doesn't think about it because i have to one thing i wanted to mention is the only um like character change i can think of that oda's made from editorial pressure was to make chopper cuter and more likable and profitable talking about capitalism. <laughs> right. Like, I don't yes. think that was, I think that was a purely money driven decision on the behalf of the oh. editor, right? To make Chopper yeah. cutesy rather than just this weird looking reindeer. Oda loves ugly characters. Yeah. And I, I love cute Chopper, but just because it appeals to something very like a primal want, wanting to protect this thing that looks like a fetus. He's got these giant eyes. You know, I love Chopper, but <laughs> he's, I wish he's he had gotten, stayed ugly. He's gotten more <laughs> ugly and angry. He's continued mm-hmm. to grow. Yeah, he's he's continued to grow more and more into the plush form that that they can like mark like crazy. But mm-hmm. I like his awful furry form. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, give me my fur trash garbage representation in that respect. Or like Kung Fu point too. where he's got a huge <laughs> mouth. Yep. Yeah. Or like, yeah. I honestly, I just my favorite. I can find so little pieces of merch of of him and that just looks like a deer with a hat on, which is like yeah. the cutest oh, yeah. to me. I love that one. I like that yeah. one too. Yeah. Especially like, when the other characters ride him. It's great. Right. Yeah. Like whenever they're in whenever they're in Alabasta and like he's just exhausted from the heat. It's just yeah. it's just a cute, like, you know what? Animals are cute. Do you have to make them into weird little cherub things? Oda does adorable uh, animals. I, I think the I think the points were kind of like, oh, he could have his cake and eat it too. Right. You know, kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah it's half- of all choppers. <laughs> it was just the fact that it was it was not Oda's decision necessarily to make the change. Yeah. I remember it being like editorial pressure from his editor mm-hmm. from Jump. Like this it, thing is too ugly. <laughs> we want people to love it. It feels well, have cynical. You seen the original, have you seen the original original chopper? Like it's got the a ones cigarette, the- right? Hell yeah! yeah. <laughs> Let chopper smoke. I yeah, stand give me hard chopper. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm well, glad you brought yeah. that up because I, I wanted to like kind of parse out the the difference between like corporate oversight and just like how it feels to be a creator where you're you're basically making this thing that's this rocket ship that you send off and you just don't have any control over it mm-hmm. anymore and it goes out into the fandom and people are going to do with it what they like interpret it how they like and that's like part of the joy of art Mm-hmm. But I could also, I could see someone like Dan Harmon, like not, he doesn't care about like what the corporation wants. It's just like at a certain point, you also get worn down from like what people expect from you mm-hmm. based on what, like what they see in it. So like, I don't know. I think there there's two, like two subtly different things happening at the same time. Right. Mm-hmm. He's got oh, so when, you're not, when you're, I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I didn't mean to interrupt. Um, I was going to say, I, I just feel like there's too many influences. I don't know how anybody manages a huge 
uh, multimedia entertainment brand like this and not go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just too many entities trying to vie for what they want out of it from you. Have uh, the fact that Oda's managed to retain any real creative voice and, and integrity throughout this process is something that you don't see a lot in a lot of Western. Well, he he specifically just shuts himself off from all other. Well, that's like, how you'd have to do it. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he he's notorious for that. Yeah, his office is in his house. You know, like he doesn't have to even interact. Yeah, perfect for for current times. But like he doesn't <laughs> have to interact with anyone else and now he he's in a position i guess where he could also shoot people away and i mean that so like one of the major themes we've we've been having on the on, on this in this mini series has kind of been popping your bubble you know like getting out of your bubble and i think shannon you put it really well just like being able to have media and voices and people you respect kind of saying things that you need to hear that i need to hear you know just like getting mm-hmm. out of the space where you would normally comfortably sit. And I think for, I think I don't know if Oda even, you know, has that opportunity. So one of the things that we were talking about before starting uh, this episode was maybe putting together some sort of letter to kind of explain um, some of where we're all coming from here. Um, I, because he does do, he does have positive portrayals and he also does have negative portrayals as we've discussed. So I'm wondering, you know, what you all would, would want in, in such a letter because he, apparently he reads all of them. That is, that is what I hear. I, you know, I, um, I don't, so, you know, like Alan said earlier, like death of the author is the only way to view media. Right, it's the only um, constructive way to really look at something like. Uh, and to, this is sort of answer Mike's question. Like, this is a this is a corporatized piece of media. Um, you have to relate to it um, with your own individual lens, and that's the only way to really absorb it. Um, and I, I think that's the the power of One Piece. Right, is that it leaves room for all this stuff. Um, so, like, I'm not for me personally speaking, not to speak for anybody else in the chat. I'm not asking to like to give Del Flamingo a boyfriend. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want, mm-hmm. I don't I want. Am. Okay, well. <laughs> okay, yeah. maybe I am. Maybe I am asking for that. The point is that I just like, it's like, I, I think representation, trite representation is a trap. Okay. Like there is this, uh, like for instance, the new Beauty and the Beast, that remake that came out, making LeFou like gay for Gaston was like way more homophobic to me than Queen is. Like, yeah. To, to make him like to make him a total loser who just follows around this jerk is way worse than Queen referencing like BDSM tropes. Um, it's deeply and- problematic in how it's representing queer relationships, and and yeah, I think that it's cynical and done in a way that is. There's so, the word. That's exactly right. It. Right, and so I'm and so I'm not asking necessarily for like uh, you know give all of my favorite characters a boyfriend, but like you can stop. You can just not do future like Kamabaka Island scenes like that. Like there, are, mm-hmm. like just re- just yeah. reframe things that you've tone done. Tone down the toxic way. stuff, right? Tone down, tone well, down the responses right. that are really negative. I, and, and like you, you know, fine. and like to anticipate any sort of like bad faith readings of this like entire episode. Like you know, no one's asking for wholesale rewrites. You yeah. know what I mean? No, nobody's no, nobody's yeah. asking like make Zoro gay yesterday because like I frankly make enough content of that on my own. I kind of fill my own. <laughs> right, we have our own headcan and we don't need it, right? Right. So like I mean, that's I don't need your help, but I would like to see the negative 
responses, yeah. res re regular reactions be toned down. Exactly. Be and and mm -hmm. we, we talked about Okiku, so that's to some extent, maybe that's a, a, a step in the right direction. Yeah, I think, I think so. It's been a good sign so far. Um, I there think so, hasn't too. been any issues with Okiku as far as I can remember. Right. I don't know if Sanji knows, but... Uh, yeah, Let's I mean, hope he never know, finds out. I don't want that scene. I don't want to see it. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, and that's what I'm saying. Just, mm -hmm. Sanji finds out and just isn't an asshole about it. That would be mm -hmm. great. That would be a huge step forward. Mm -hmm. And he just yeah. goes, hey, I know other trans characters. That's cool. It's fine. Moving on. And, and you know, Oda's, uh, you know, very much an adept enough joke writer to find uh, humor in different scenes that aren't that. Yeah. One hopes. I, mm -hmm. I, I do think it's something that uh, that needs to be said that I, I don't think anybody here wants Oda to completely sort of change his approach to telling his story because as much as we would like the death of the author to be the, the reality because it just makes it easier to uh, enjoy and process art in cases I, I keep bringing up the Harry Potter thing but I think it's really relevant where um, the the author behaves in such a way for so long that it's really hard to to enjoy the work anymore without completely divorcing it from them. But I don't think anybody here is asking that. I do think that we, it's pretty clear that Oda is a pretty well-read person. A lot of the, the things he pours mm -hmm. into this work are, are uh, a reflection of his uh, politics, his morals, his knowledge and, and interest in history uh, in other cultures. And, and the thirst for, um, learning about new cultures is at the centerpiece of this show. I mean, the thing that I loved about the series from all along was like, they go to a new place, they learn about its culture, they learn about the people, the cool things there are to see there, and then they may have a positive impact on that community in their own way. Uh, and I think that with that in mind, it's hard to not see that that's Oda's spirit at the very least, even if he gets the details wrong sometimes. Right. And, and, and all I would ask of him is to take that spirit of... of open-mindedness and acceptance and, and learning about new cultures and communities, that love of the new, uh, and really m continue to pursue that and really think about his global audience. Because I don't think, you know, we say a lot about how Shonen Jump is for boys and that is the, the reason why there's so much sort of immaturity at times about these culturally sensitive things. But I think there is a lot of emotional maturity at the centerpiece of this show. And I think that he's capable of stepping back from himself for a moment and really seeing that I need to I need to learn more about communities I'm not already very knowledgeable about. If I'm especially if I'm going to write about them or or uh, reflect them in any way directly or indirectly in my works, and and that there's a big audience for One Piece that are female and gender non-conforming from a lot of different you know races and nationalities and creeds that that love his work and really connect to it. And, and I think that he would want to make them happy too, if he was a really thought about it for a moment and that, that his, he's not intentionally hurting people's feelings, but his not doing the due diligence to learn and be better is, is reflective in his works at times. And, and he, the, there are areas where he's better and there was areas where he's not. And the series has been going for 20 years and, I think it reflects his personal growth. I just, I would want for him to not let the bubble of success uh, prevent him from continuing to make this series better than it's ever been. Mm. That's, really that's awesome. all I have to say about that. Yeah. No, I, yeah. We all love this series. I don't think it's like, no one's here to say, yeah. 
Oda, you're a bigot. It's like, no, Oda, we love um, you. Right. I, I think you said but there could be better. There, you could do better in some ways. Yeah. So I said, for me, it would be, I'd be satisfied if we just lost the negative reactions. Right. I find them um, that kind of mugging, unfunny, insulting, and just frankly, very boring. Right. And but, I, it does, it but, doesn't really have a, a place anymore. But that 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 happens when he learns about those experiences. Talk to people from those backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Learn about why that is hate hurtful and why maybe that's a, a cheap joke he doesn't need to go back to because I believe in oh. him enough as a writer to be able to find the humor outside of punching down. Um, he he I on I hate to be like be on Twitter more because that's not something I would recommend for anybody. God, <laughs> but like, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like like expose yourself to new voices and. But you can you can tell them. sometimes when you're talking to a when you're when you're reading stuff and you you realize the moment that they actually talk to somebody from a marginalized community. Right. Like you almost you can feel it a lot of time, and you can you if you're. I mean, I read obviously tons of Yuri. Not all of it's by by queer authors a great deal of it is not and you can totally tell the moment that somebody goes um they must have talked to somebody yeah. <laughs> or more or that they are themselves gay or or that they you know got a lot of emails saying please don't do this it's really hurtful and they went whoa stopping that right now and then they write it into the story about why that's not going to happen right you can always tell and that's what makes that letter you were mentioning earlier disconcerting because that's not the reaction you would expect or want from him when yeah. presented with, with criticism that is born out of love and respect for what he does. Just saying, I, Hey, from fans from female fans. Yeah. It wasn't like some group that didn't care about the exactly. story was pro. Right, right. It. It, was it, just was, very, yeah. it was very dismissive, but he mm-hmm. also, we're talking what 15 years ago now. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, that's, how I, that's how I felt like when Justin and Dan did that, like, I don't see race. I like just mm-hmm. an right. inappropriate cop very, very dismissive. It is. I, art, it, was, yeah. it was the laziest form of dismissive you can be. Sure. And that's what really was insulting about it. It's like you didn't even take a moment to think, how can I be dismissive and not be an insulting? I think you can also say, we'll think about this and give you a better answer in the future. This is something we don't want to do wrong. Instead of being like, oh, we don't know. It's, it's like, uh, yeah, it's just uh, yeah, take responsibility. You don't have to have a quick answer or do everything perfect right off the bat because no one does. I've, I do a lot of creative stuff. I've changed things. I've felt embarrassed and apologized to people, but I would much rather do that than be like, oh, it's not my problem or doubling down or it's so on. And the other thing too, is when mm-hmm. you put any sort of work out in the world, anything of any kind, it's no longer belongs to you. And you've got to know that. Right. And it's a, it's a timestamp for where you're at at that point as a person creatively and personally and growth happens. I mean, Christ, Oda makes a new piece of content basically every week for the past 20 years. If if anyone I can think of creatively that you can track a trajectory of their of their growth as a person, it would be somebody like him. Which is yeah, why I, I think we're pointing out the areas where he's gotten better and the areas where he still stumbles. You know. Yeah, I've been doing that every week for eleven years. <laughs> right. I'm positive there's shit. You know, like I have yeah. I have one hundred percent grown as a person. I do not recognize the person I was eleven years ago. Exactly. So I'm sure for him. You know, when he, when did he start this? Like, I think the pilot, he was like 17 and 19 and 20 something, you know, when he was starting this, I think we all hope that we are not the same person when we're 45 as we were. were (laughs) Right. But not everybody has receipts for who they were back then. That's why you scroll through social media. (laughs) And and people people (laughs) discovering it again over and over and over and over, which is just, 
you know, why did you do that thing? I mean, I get this all the time. I mean, I've been writing my blog for 20 years now. Yeah. And I get people going, well, I disagree. I actually just had this this week. Somebody said, well, you're an idiot. And I'm like, that's a seven-year-old boast. <laughs> I, I mean, and as it happens, I just wrote a review and said, you know what? I stand by it. I mean, <laughs> there you go. Look, because look I, still, at, I still agree with myself. Yeah, look at the James Gunn situation. You know, people in bad faith dug up old tweets of his from a very long time ago that he had already made, like, you know, made peace with and like mm-hmm. apologized and tried to do better after that. But people were acting like it was said yesterday. So like the, the problem with that is you can say, I'm sorry and I'll try to do better. But if you do not do the work right. to make it up right. to the people behind you. Right. Behind, oh, something I want to say about James Gunn too. A, a lot of the jokes that he got in trouble for were sort of like a pedophilic Catholic priest joke. Or, or, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, when he was young, where he went to a Catholic school and a priest molested people that he knew and they told adults and they didn't do anything. Um, he, I don't know if it happened to him, but I think he's talked about it in interviews, not to excuse those jokes, but I think some of them, it might've been him kind of reflecting his own pain, which I don't think was ever discussed. And also no. the people who, who brought it up were like right-wing maniacs. Right. Right, it was like a factors, weird. It was such yeah. a sad situation with that because it was like nine years since he had already apologized. And if you dig into it, I think a lot of jokes are just terrible, and I do not stand <laughs> behind like edgy humor. But I think those right. jokes specifically, mm. it's like a lot of queer people will have very complicated or unpleasant representations of their own experiences and work, and then they get labeled as problematic because it's not like right. a a saccharine, sanitized experience. Again, not to say that you know you should wallow. And like uh, transphobia or homophobia or whatever, but I think uh, acknowledging the complexity of it. Sorry, the James Gunn thing is like a weird soapbox for me because I felt so bad no. for him in that situation. And, right, right. <laughs> and like one of the funny things about that, we're so mad about how people talk about like uncomfortable and edgy stuff, but we're not mm-hmm. actually dealing with the fact that there are still Catholic priests who are molesting children and they yeah. Catholic mm-hmm. moving them around. Yeah. That's the real mm-hmm. issue. Like let alone someone's like personal bad take on it. Yeah, it's and, ironic that so many, a lot of people in those situations are more concerned with uh, policing uh, discourse politics as opposed to the issues those dis- the discourse is trying to address. Uh, well, without- that's the whole point, isn't right, it? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Because it's easier to police. It's the tone policing thing, you know. Well, I mean, we, we're we in the middle of this all through the <laughs> United States. You know, well, if only you would be more peaceful. If only you said it this way. If only, if only. And those if-onlys are endless and they never go anywhere because it's easier to just keep derailing the conversation than ever face it. Of any right. kind. And, and I mean it's more on both sides of this. Yeah, and it's more yeah. socially valuable as well. Yeah, I, I think yeah. that's that's why conversations like the one we're having today is so important because I think it t- tends to get shut down by a certain percentage of the aud- of the the fandom that isn't interested in anybody discussing this stuff, let alone having to be part of that conversation. You know, they'd rather just live in this sort of bubble of their own privilege that makes us just discussing the things that are very relevant to our lives and our and our survival in a lot of ways uh, becomes. Uh, a, a superfluous conversation that they just don't want to hear anything about, you know. And their their refusal to hear that conversation is what right. is damaging. Or seeing yeah. it as I think people, especially in America right now, I cannot speak for Japan, feel at least before this moment. I think it's changing now, maybe, but felt so politically disaffected that they mm-hmm. treated their consumption as their identity. So it's like you insult this Japanese comic, you insulted mm-hmm. me. How dare you? It's like as if I say, you know. Uh, I especially the, the scene with Absalom and Nami where she, he's like about to sexually Ugh. assault her. That always really upset mm-hmm. me. It's like, I'm not trying to cancel Oda. 
I'm not trying to hurt this thing that you love. It's like you need to be less sensitive about a reasoned criticism of something. But people have trouble with that because it's like they feel so powerless the way that they can like fight for what they believe in is to get angry about something yeah. that in the grand scheme well, of things is fairly inconsequential. I'm not going to, I'm not really, I'm not, I would, even if I wanted to, I wouldn't be able to cancel one piece and I don't want to. It's so ironic that they are both simultaneously taking their like and consumption of media as a centerpiece of their identity while simultaneously dismissing both other people's identities and right. the <laughs> themes of a one piece in relation mm -hmm. to identity erasure. Like, it's, it's insane. insane. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. <laughs> the Matrix is a perfect example of that. Taking oh my God, pill, I know. Baby. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> Right, like two trans people literally talking about transhumanism and like, like, uh, like mm -hmm. people, like, I mean, like at one point, I don't know, I'm sorry to go off on a rant on the Matrix, but like no, literally, if you, I love like, the Matrix. <laughs> well, like the trans perspective on the, those movies is way more interesting than what I think a lot of people are willing to give it credit for, especially the relationship between Neo and Agent Smith. And Agent Smith continually dead names Neo throughout the entire franchise. Like, it's very clear. That it is I need too, to watch the Matrix. <laughs> it is so interesting from a queer perspective, man. Yeah. Seriously, like I am, I love everything that the Wachowskis do, especially Sense Eight. And Sense Eight actually is their last work they've done that is most relevant to One Piece because it is about connectivity and family and and multiculturalism, combating uh, 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 an authority that is trying to homogenize culture and separate people from each other, so that empathy and humanism cannot thrive. Uh, because they, it challenges their their control their their power. Um, uh, yeah, I love Wachowskis I mean, I, anyway. No, I I think <laughs> we should do a podcast on that at some point. But <laughs> no, I I love how you know I I'm I'm so grateful that you know I, I'm we've all been able to sit down and to to talk about all this just because like I am never you know if, if I don't step out of that bubble or if people or if listeners you know aren't able to step out of the bubble. You know, you're not able to experience things on an entirely different and more affecting level. Like, I have all new reasons after this to cry at Chopper's backstory and Robin's backstory. Not mm -hmm. that I didn't have <laughs> enough reasons before, but I have a whole new set of them. Um, and, you know, that is that is so awesome and affecting. And it's, I, I mean, I'm also hearing from all of you and I don't mean to put, I, I don't, I don't think I'm putting words in, in everyone's mouth. Just like, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if fear is the right word, but just like a hesitance to, to criticize thinking that it, you know, that that affects your love for the series being critical of the series. And I think there's definitely a balance if all, you know, if you're doing it from a place, I think, as you guys said, where it's like, well, this and this and this, or if only I forget exactly the line, you know, that's one thing, but well, it's, it's kind of like you, you understand when your friend makes a bad call and you want to kind of talk to you about the bad call, but you don't mm -hmm. think they're a bad person. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 And <laughs> as someone with 11 years on the record every week, uh, <laughs> yeah. like if I make a mistake, I want, I am going to, I, I need to apologize for that. Um, I think, and uh, Jill. Oh, sorry. I, I guess I think I said it earlier, but like criticism is pretty much like if you're criticizing something you love, instead of just giving up on it that really shows how much you care mm -hmm. like i i want one piece to be the best it, be, it can be and for everyone to enjoy it and i would yeah. rather not have these little spots that like i read through it and i'm like oh oda why would you do that take 
um, <laughs> rather than just <laughs> giving up on it completely because I still care about the series. And I know a lot of fans are like that. Yeah. And I, mm-hmm. I think it, yeah. And it, it's whether or not I think you're coming from it from a place where you're being authentic to yourself and to the, and, and to others um, and from an empathetic place. And I think we all, you know, want Oda to do better. Um, you know, it, whether it's on this issue or other issues. Um, and when he lets you down, that's the thing that's, it's like disappointing because you, you love what he's done and it's affected you so much over the years. Uh, um, going off of that a little bit, just because someone mentioned Absalom, the fact that Oda killed off Absalom off screen uh, when he's such like a agreed. shit character, he barely, <laughs> kills, and he barely kills anyone in the series. And I kind of thought he had more going with it, too, because he had the whole cover story with Absalom. Almost makes me think someone was just like, you should get rid of this character. And he listened to them. <laughs> the race of Beyond his rapey nature, he's also just a badly designed character. I don't like mm-hmm. his design at all. <laughs> I, you know, honestly, with with the way this series works, in about another ten years, he's going to show back up with a new design, and there'll be a bunch of off screen character development that has happened, and we'll <laughs> the be Bellamy confused. effect. Like, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> with all the Bellamy was never rapey, so it's not the same thing. Or what's it, Saint Mouseguard, the uh, World Noble? Oh, uh, yeah, all mm. of the World Nobles. That's no, it's specifically the one from Orihime's flashback. Because oh, oh, yeah, who became shit. good? Who's good now? Yeah, yeah. Someone from a marginalized um, group, which I thought was really neat. Like, obviously, it shouldn't be anyone's job to have to explain why it's not good to be oppressed. <laughs> but the fact that this, basically, yeah. I mean, a god in the One Piece world basically learned to learn to have empathy is such a powerful moment in the series. Mm-hmm. True. Okay. Um, so, uh, before we go, I, I want to, first off, um, Erica, we're going to be doing, um, an episode, I think, um, women and feminism and, and gender issues. And I'd love to have you back on for that as well. Um, Great. we kind of touched on that subject a little bit. Um, I mean, that'd be lovely. Yeah. Um, and I, there's a lot to chew on there too. Um, as I think we started to, but, uh, I want to go around the horn. Um, I think Alan, the way, uh, or, Alan or Shannon put it, you know, to if if you guys have other um recommend any other pieces of media um that kind of fit into everything we've been talking about here, uh please, you know, plug plug away your own stuff and other stuff. Uh, Jill, I'll I'll start with you. Oh, putting me on the spot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, you know what? I'm actually one of those people where I I don't know. I it's hard, I think, sometimes to go out and read new media when I don't know if I'm going to enjoy it. I-, I have issues like that, but I have been trying to reach out more and more. Um, uh, you know what I've never watched is Oran High School Host Club. Um, <laughs> yes. <Yay>. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely want to give that a shot because I know a lot of queer and trans people really enjoy it and the themes in it. Um, so I would have to say that people should, uh, if you haven't given a shot, like I have, go ahead and try that out too. Chill, please. Okay. Enjoy. Okay. Enjoy. <laughs> I will. I hope. Uh, Josh. Hi. Um, I don't know, man. I feel like I spend a lot of time, um, projecting onto media. So I don't know if others will find this is valuable. Um, I think loop on the third super gay. Um, you can pick any Lupin they're, they're series. They're poly. It's a, po- it's a 
Thruple. I love Lupin. Yeah. I, I follow yeah. that. I follow a bunch of like PG rated Lupin fan <laughs> artists, and it makes my timeline so much better on Twitter. It just makes me so happy. Can you yeah, send you can... some posts to me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can at me. I'll tell you my uh, Lupin uh, OT4 theory. It's very involved. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, I, I don't know. The, you know, just give this a shot. But like, I've also been. This isn't for everybody. I've also been enjoying Hannibal. So, like, if you're tacky like me, you might enjoy that. <laughs> um, because it's just, like, you know, problematic male longing, which is, like, I don't know. That's fun for me. Don't, don't they make a... Don't they say Nakama in that? Is that the one where they oh, do? Oh, my God. Yo, I, almost, so weird. I almost screenshotted it last night and made, like, a dub joke or, like, a fan <laughs> dub joke about it. My friend literally was, messaged me close. about that today. He's watching <laughs> Hannibal, and he was like, wow. they just said Nakama. I'm like, yes, weird. I think there's something there. I don't know. That's, that, like, why? <laughs> it's such an awkward scene. It's very unnatural. It's like, yeah. do you... The word Nakama? He's like, Hannibal is my Nakama. I'm like, what am I watching? Yep. It rocks. It's like the tackiest show with like the most fun production design. Um, I don't know if that's your thing. Enjoy. Um, oh yeah, but where could I, for Jill too after? But Josh, where could people find you? Oh yeah, you can find me online um, at all your social media spots uh, at user amons a m o double n s. Uh, oh, Jill, and, uh, you can that. find me at Pyrotest on Luck on Twitter and most of their social media, and uh, on the One Piece podcast every so often. Uh, Erica, where could what, what would you recommend to people? I know you probably have a, a good long list, and where could people find? Um, it? Actually, I almost never do recommendations. It's the hardest oh, okay. thing for me because my tastes are really um, not other people's tastes. Oh yeah. Uh, so I've got a couple things. Uh, first of all, you can find me on Okazu, which is my blog. I've been blogging about Yuri anime, manga, and related media there for twenty years. Um, and you can find a lot of my recommendations at the end of every year. I do a, a yearly roundup of things that mostly don't suck. So. That's my best of. But here's my three things. Last year, a series came out called Our Dreams at Dusk, Shimanami Tasugari, which is an LGBTQ actual real manga by and about sexual and gender minorities. It's not um, queer coded. It is about queer characters. It is brilliantly written and brilliantly uh, drawn. And if you haven't read it already, I recommend it strongly. It's only four volumes out from seven C's. So uh, that's one thing. Um, the other thing I'm going to say is not anime or manga at all. It's um, a novel series that came out at the end of last year, and the second book is out, Gideon the Ninth and Harrow the Ninth, which are two of the most incredibly violent, bloody, horrible, death-filled series I've ever loved, and I love them. <laughs> and character Gideon is a vulgar mouth lesbian who is awesome. She is, she could be one of my friends. She's so vulgar and she's <laughs> hilarious. The, and the thing is, in, and I said this in my reviews, in between the, the, the bones and the, and the dust of the dying and the gobs and the phlegm and the blood of the, of the living um, or, or soon to be not living, uh, it's one of the funniest series I've ever read in my entire life. I mean, I can't stop quote reading this to my wife. Uh, Gideon the Ninth and Harrow the Ninth, which will be out Gideon the Nounce out from Tor and Hera will be out next in August, and I've reviewed it on Okazu. Um, so those are those are a couple of my faves, and uh, I recommend reading books as well as watching TV and reading comics because a lot of the stuff that you're going to sit there in your head as you're reading anime manga and go, God, I wish somebody would blah blah blah. Somebody has, darling. Somebody has. <laughs> yeah. And it's been out for like 500 years and you just aren't looking in the right places. And first of all, there's a lot of queer American comics. Mm -hmm. I recommend 
uh, folks that uh, really read some of the, the queer American comics out there because this is not new and nothing you have thought of has not been done before. So there's that. Um, and a lot of the stuff that, that's being done right now in anime and manga is better than you can imagine. So light novel series uh, bloom into you regarding Sayaki Sayaka is literally a three novel series from 70s about uh, a lesbian it's from the series uh, Bloom and to You, which is a, a, Yuri, a Yuri romance. It's okay, but Sayaka is an actual lesbian character in the, in the story, and they give her three novels. And they're fantastic because they're actually about her understanding who she is and why. And then uh, the third novel will be coming out, I think, this autumn. And I've reviewed that in Japanese as well. So there's a lot of really good queer, straight-up, on mm-hmm. the surface, you don't have to go get digging. You don't have to make head cannons. There's stuff out there, and the stories are being told. Nothing um, wrong with being, you know, digging through the trash. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with the head cannon stuff. But if you want to see uh, stuff that's out there, there's a lot out there right now. You're so powerful. <laughs> for real <laughs> yeah I try i try because i want people to really think about it hard you know i get this all the time people go well i wrote this story because nobody's done it and i'm like well it's this 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 right. this but trust me people have done it no i that's that's such There's a, a lot out there right now no it's such a damn good point i love it i need to read more too so like i read all day for work and then i'm like Ugh. but i need to i need to pick up some books um, try getting in the knife because it's hella awesome. Okay. <laughs> it really is. The woman who wrote oh, it, Temps and Muir, started in fanfic. Nice. You have definitely sold me. Uh, Mike, <laughs> uh, do you want to? First, I guess, if you have any recommendations and also where people could find you. Uh, yeah. I mean, we talked about it earlier, but I mean, if anybody in the audience hasn't seen Paris is Burning, like it's free on YouTube. It's probably, I think it's on Netflix. Like nothing's going to explain the found family better than that that show's going to do. Um, and also it's not even, it's not even gay, but just read the short story for Johnny Mnemonic by Bruce Sterling. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you can imagine some of the characters are gay. It doesn't matter, but it just rules. It's 20 pages and it's perfect cyberpunk. Uh, yeah. My, my, I'm naughty stormy on all the social media. Cool. Um, Alan, where could people find you? Sure. I'm on Twitter at Kenji Salk, and you can also find out information on the gay space pirate adventure game slash dating sim I'm developing uh, <laughs> called Slipstream Scalawags. It's kind of like halfway between Telltale Game and like Monkey Island, um, but all about, uh, again, I, I, I think we all are in agreement that found families rule, uh, queer people finding unity amongst each other, supporting each other, and that's definitely the energy I'm channeling uh, in our game. And the two things I want to recommend would one, uh, especially that's most relevant to this series is the stars series, black sales. Um, it is a, it is a kind of game of Thrones esque period drama about pirates, but most of the characters are queer and their queerness is a central point of their identity and what motivates them. Uh, the main character being a bisexual male motivated out of a sense of revenge against what was done to him and the man that he loved. And it's the centerpiece of everything that happens in the whole show. And most of the characters are people of color, bisexual, gay people. There's a, you know, it, it pulls from history. It pulls from uh, Treasure Island. So some of the characters from Treasure Island are in it. Uh, and it's very much about all these people who found their way into this point where they have nowhere else to go 
fighting for a place for themselves in the world against uh, England that represents the wor- the civilized world trying to make them conform. And I, I cannot think of a show that I think One Piece fans for a Western cable drama would ever connect with more so than this show. I love it. It's great. Um, and it is not subtextual. It is <laughs> queerness is at the center of the show. <laughs> you said that because like, I saw that the season show wrapped um, a little while ago. And the other thing really I wanted to talk about is sort of touching. It's only four seasons. It's pretty short. It's honestly, if you felt disappointed by Game of Thrones and how nihilistic it is and how much it just sort of like craps the bed by the end of it, this show sticks the landing expertly while still maintaining queer identities as a central character motivation for a lot of the people in it. And and I just, I really, obviously, it, it, it is a perfect show for me. Um, but the other thing I wanted to talk about just real quick is uh, the manga My Brother's Husband. And it is a, a two mm. piece, two chapter, two volume story about uh, from the king of uh, gay porn in Japan. Tag- uh, uh, I believe his name is Gengoro Tagame. Uh, he's a he's a porn king in Japan, but he wrote this very not erotic, uh, very human story about what it's like to be queer in Japan and sort of the 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 pervasive unique form of homophobia that a lot of queer people experience there and how different that, that is passive a passive homophobia of good yes. people mm-hmm. yes and and the how etiquette and putting the other above yourself uh sort of cultural uh you know tent poles of J- japanese society is at odds with their traditionalist attitudes towards things like queerness and and it really paints a human and not not entirely. I don't think it's necessarily a tragic story. It no, is just not a, at all. It is just a very heartbreakingly human story yeah. about how the the pervasiveness of homophobia and how even those who are homophobic at times can't even parse their own feelings in in, in light of their connection to other people. The, the the sense of humanity at the at the center of all of this. So I think it's a really enlightening view on on the Japanese version of homophobia. In, um, what's uh, notable about that particularly is it ran in a mainstream men's manga magazine. So it was targeted towards straight men, straight adult men. Yeah, it's very educational. So basically, it was the kind of guy who stands there at the, the uh, kombini reading the manga before he goes home. It was, it was literally for that guy. Yeah. And, and I, so and it's, it's very interesting. Yeah, and, and they even made it a, a miniseries, a live-action miniseries, I think, in Japan a handful of years too. ago. I, I haven't watched that yet. I kind of was like, man, I wish it was animated, but I get why <laughs> it wasn't. No, I mean, you can't make it animated. Nobody would watch it. It's, right. It has to be. It had to be live-action because it doesn't have any action in it. But did the year that uh, the first second, first volume came out in, in, in Japan, I think it was 2015, I was in Japan for Pride. And I got to be oh, wow. in an event with uh, Tagami Sensei, who is a doll. He's an absolute sweetheart. And he's been at TCAF a lot. So if you ever get up to Toronto Comics Arts Festival, um, he's up there a lot. Uh, but Tagami Sensei was there, and I was there, and a couple other awesome. artists that I really like were there. And um, he was talking about it. One of the questions that we asked him was, you know, how how is the response to this in this mainstream men's magazine? He said, everybody likes it except for the people who don't. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was such oh a my great god! Response. What a good reaction to criticism. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. that's like perfect creator goals of just like being able to be zen about that. <laughs> oh, he's he's a very chill man. He's that's a awesome. really nice guy. Honest to god, one of the nicest nicest people in manga. All the people <laughs> I've ever met in manga have all been really amazing. 
um, at TCAF. In fact, I met Takashi Mahironi Sensei, who does Kasasan series, which is a, a very cute high school Yuri series that's now gone. They've moved out of high school and they're now uh, moving into college. Also, that from Seven Seas, and, and you might hear that there's a uh, a trend here, but all the magazine, all of the major and minor manga publishers in the US, all of the English language publishers, all have at least some queer books now. All of them. Yeah. All of them have are investing in BL, all of them are investing in Yuri, and all of them investing in LGBTQ stuff because we have arrived and we do have money and we spend it. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> That's great. So, Happy, Pride. Happy Pride Month. <laughs> exactly. Last year for Pride, I actually spent every day on Twitter. And by the way, I'm Okazu Yuri at Twitter. Um, I spent every single day picking out a new queer manga, most of which were English, except for one, which was then licensed, which was Our Dreams at Dusk, Shimonami Tasugari. Uh, so that was all of last Pride Month. This year, I haven't done that. This year, instead, what I did was I just said, if you were queer, jump into my mentions, and I would retweet you because I wanted to you know, give people voice. Man, you guys got money? <laughs> <laughs> for now. <laughs> Goes to One Piece merch. <laughs> yeah, it's exclusively for One Piece. Um, Alan, did you mention your Twitter? I forget, or your handle? Uh, yeah, at Kenji Salk, and then you can follow my game studio at D-A-X-N-D. Okay, I just want to make sure. Uh, no Shannon, where could people find you? And uh, what, what do you recommend? Oh, gosh. Um... You can find me on Twitter at Plenty of Alcoves. If you go on YouTube and look up Struchi movies or like fake friends parasocial, you can find me. I'm also the film correspondent for the pop culture co- podcast uh, Struggle Session, which is at Struggle Sesh on Twitter. And um, I'm a player on the teenage superhero body horror podcast Critical Bits, which we um, I play a lesbian on that show. My friend plays an asexual character. It's like a very queer, anti-fascist um, actual play. And I just I wanted to mention that Specifically in the webcomic community, the tabletop RPG community, and like independent video games, there are a ton of like queer and trans people making stuff. Like an, an extreme amount. And, and the what I've done in the past few years is I've mostly, apart from One Piece and a couple of TV shows, given up on mainstream media. And I've found very like hyper specific queer art that I can mm-hmm. uh, fully support without caveats. Our, our support, like, this is a complicated work. Like, there's a webcomic called Feast for a King that I love. It's a really gruesome um, sci-fi adventure comic, like, spanning thousands of pages and, like, hundreds of thousands of years in-universe. And uh, basically every character is trans, and there's, like, violence, and they eat each other, and they love each other. And it's just, like, a, a weird uh, body <laughs> horror, um, extremely queer webcomic that I was like, where has this been all my life? And it's, very, it's pretty obscure. And uh, in the independent video game community there are a ton of trans women specifically like brogan hackett i think is a non-binary trans woman and she helped run the haunted ps1 demo disc and there's just like oh, especially in the horror community there there's a ton of people like expressing themselves telling their own stories um i also really like uh my lesbian experience with loneliness the manga and uh the girl who can get a girl who can't get a girlfriend which is a web comic that's sort of like a goofy um self-deprecating comedy about a butch lesbian who can't find a hot butch girlfriend and there's also a, a korean horror web comic called sweet home that isn't super queer but like the representation of women and representation of dis- disability is really cool in it and i want to second the recommendation for hannibal uh brian fuller yeah, is, is, is gay 
And he had a lot of really, the showrunner for Hannibal, and he had a lot of really ter terrible experiences. Um, like he left a TV show and they made a gay character straight and he couldn't get a lesbian kiss at, like in a loving romantic uh, relationship on a show on the same network where like hot lesbian firefighters could kiss. And I think when he made Hannibal, he wanted to explore that. And I think he did a tremendous job. Uh, and yeah. that was my favorite TV show for a long time. I'm trying to think if I miss And yeah, my lesbian experience with loneliness is very, um, has some graphic stuff about mental illness in it, but I really enjoyed that. And my recommendation is just like, go looking for stuff. Don't like, don't settle for the guy who wants to have sex with Gaston. Cause that's what you're I mean, going to get sometimes. I feel <laughs> if like you don't like go out of your way. So that's what I, I feel so <laughs> strong. Get every time. <laughs> yeah. You have to go and it can be, it can take a lot of time and a lot of it is just not good. And it, some of it is like really poorly made or it's, like, but you have to sort through that, especially with video games. But you can find the most amazing stuff if you just put a little time in and look for other queer creators or creators of whatever marginalized group who mm -hmm. aren't beholden to an editor who's like, make this less ugly or make the women hotter or get rid of this because this might. I just kind of, I just, I don't even understand people anymore. I, like, I understand <laughs> being upset at J.K. Rowling, <laughs> but I have no interest in even entertaining anything someone like that would make anymore. Not to judge people who do. Like, I still have friends who love Harry Potter, but, like, why wouldn't I just find a different fantasy series that, like, has black right. people in it? Right, go Or that go isn't read written by a turf. Yeah, go you read Earthsea, because she ripped it off anyway, and it all has mm -hmm. a bunch of, like, people of color in it. That as mm -hmm. Or uh, Akata Warrior by right. the Mediocre Four. But yeah, you're awesome. Mm -hmm. I, I, I definitely think you're right that there's just an ocean of content in the heart so much there's too much there, there's a a video game collective that i really like called portrait prophecies and some of their mm -hmm. stuff is trans or about abuse they have like 50 followers on twitter it's so frustrating because this stuff is so good and people <laughs> ignore it to be upset at other stuff that like well, those creators would never give them the yeah. time of day this is like my because, whole like my yeah. my profession is like i review media and it's like please like look at something like i i what erica was saying about like read a book just read something mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Go listen to something independently made and you Christ, will be yeah. way happier. Christ, follow us on Twitter. I mean, that's a good place to start because I <laughs> yeah. think we all probably are like sharing and retweeting and posting Just screaming about, about it all the time. Yeah. yeah. Heart rate goes up. I'm like, please like, stop support independent media and then you can be the change you want to see in the world. They have Patreons. Go find oh, man. them. I love that whole like Hollywood's out of ideas thing. And then whenever a new idea comes out, they don't go see it. It's like, uh, where yeah. were y'all? Where were we all with when Pacific Rim was in the box office and underperforming compared to all? They the were other seeing grownups too. That's exactly. What beat yeah. I, I am, dude, dude. This many years later, I'm still bitter about that because that's one of my mm -hmm. favorite like blockbuster movies. Pacific it's Rim about, is so good. It's fantastic. It's about, yeah, it's a about movie, a lot of this, yeah. it's about a lot of the same things that I think One Piece kind of taps into about connection and humanity mm -hmm. and like diversity and like humanity being the thing that can stop the darkness and like unfortunately people get oh Transformers. And it's like just assuming it's all equally well, stupid. And I don't know. Like, yeah, you're right. Well, like, I mean, it's because they, you know, they didn't recognize the Gundam in it. You know what I'm saying? Right, like exactly. they just didn't see that at all. Yeah, yeah. But some of that's advertising. Some of it's yeah. just like the couple's like dykes at the time. Yeah, and 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 like you were saying a minute ago, like this stuff is out there, but it doesn't have millions of dollars of marketing behind it. Mm -hmm. So you have to really, if you really care about nurturing this type of these types of voices in in uh, creative fields, you have to be more than just a passive consumer of it. You have to right. be a, uh, a, a cheerleader for it. You have to be an advocate for it. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, and the, the thing is there are publishers that, and I'm going to say that they're not mainstream, like Seven Seas is not a mainstream publisher. Viz Media is a very large publisher of comics in America, but it's not a mainstream. It's not, you know, Simon right. Schuster. But I got to tell you something. 
Simon & Schuster is making a lot of money doing queer media right now. They're making some really weird choices too, but Tor is putting out amazing gobs of queer, of people of color, of black creators, of disabled creators, just amazing, amazing gobs, mountains of work. And, you know, back in the day, you know, people were like, oh, Tor, you know, but no, Tor is doing the work and it's putting out the great stuff. And you got a library, you don't need to buy them. You can go to the library, they'll, they'll, they'll get them for you. And even the ebooks, they have ebooks. So there's no reason to be sitting there waiting for things to be fed into your eyeballs. You know, mm-hmm. just do a little thinking, follow, follow review blogs, Follow people with good voices on YouTube and don't don't put up with people who are going, ah, I don't really care about this stuff. Like, just block them out. You don't need to hear about that. Follow the people who are saying, this is amazing. This is great. Follow this. Look at this. Like, Shannon, you know, you're doing something really That's like important. all I do. I just can't. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> like, yeah, it's so, and it's so rewarding, too. Like, if you have a platform, don't just, like, I, I, I'm a video essayist and I understand that a lot of video essays, they just want to talk about like Star Wars or Marvel films or Harry Potter. That's cool. I respect that. And I'm, I would never disparage people who are into that. But to me, I'm like, I feel like why I don't care about that. I want to talk about this weird queer yeah. web comic where people eat each other. That's cool. <laughs> like, that's, that's way more interesting to me. And I can actually affect that creator's like livelihood or, or mm-hmm. I can actually get people to connect with something uh, like important to them. Like there are so many different trans characters in that it's like, while people are used to being disappointed, and I think they don't realize if you just put a little more work in and, and you try to look for people who are trying to champion these works, right. then right. you will find the stuff that, that is so much better for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Find somebody whose tastes either are exactly yours or similar to yours, find them or, or completely opposite. Mm-hmm. And you know, well, we're either all... of those will do, right? Because yes. if you hate everything I love, then I'm a great person to follow because then all you have to do <laughs> is just only get the stuff I hate. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's not like I'm unclear about which I like and which I don't like. Well, you know, we're all queer online for free. So even if you don't have a lot yeah. of money, <laughs> uh, we're all queer in public. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Brian, I'll give you uh, the the last uh, plug here. Let's let the straight cis guy go last. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, I mean, I like as Shannon was talking about Fist for a King. Eastward King, I immediately looked it up. I was like, the artwork on this scope, so I recommend it on that a lot. It's so good. It looks fantastic. I was about to link some of it in like the group DM where I'm like, look at this. It's so cool. <laughs> Do it. Yeah, so I, really. I'll, I'll back you up on that, and maybe I'll get this <laughs> very soon. Uh, I think I, I mentioned it a couple of times on the show. That pose that Mike got me into is phenomenal. Yeah, second uh, in pose. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I cried on the first episode. Similar oh, no. to One Piece, where <laughs> tragic things happen. Show like I, I'm halfway through season two. Something really tragic just happened. But <laughs> like, uh, it's never a downer because it's dealing with serious issues about like uh, represented uh, uh, trans gay people were being in light of the AIDS epidemic. And my favorite part about the series, they also don't shy away from the racial implications since it mainly stars black and brown people of that. Uh, the acting is amazing. They actually cast people who are represented as trans women and gay, gay people. And, and like, I think they're lesbian women. Uh, so I highly recommend that. If you like One Piece, you will definitely like Pose. Uh, 
and as far as like anything that like, gives me sort of like queer vibes, I would say JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Is that hell that's yeah? Fair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm rewatching uh, Battle Tendency in English because I've not I've never seen the dub. So JoJo's always a fun for like pretty men battle. Um, and maybe if you like big throbbing men, watch Baki. <laughs> Who doesn't? Also, hell yeah. <laughs> those, those, well, like, those are my Baki and then the mangaka's uh, daughter who made Beast Stars. They're both horny on Maine and they don't like <laughs> words about it. It's great. Yeah, I haven't watched Beast Stars yet, but it's it's on the short list. But yeah, Dark Kings are all, all, all one word on Twitter. Thanks, Brian. Um, so so that'll do it. This was um such an awesome conversation. I hope we could have something like this again. Um, on this topic, I mean, we could definitely talk for another two hours about it. <laughs> um, and I, I, I'm sure I'll have all of you guys uh, and girls and everyone here back on the show um, in the near future um, in, in one capacity or the other. So uh, thank you all so much for coming on. Um, we'll see you next month uh, where I think we're going to be talking about art. Uh, so we'll see you then. Goodbye. Bye. 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 together